0: All right. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number forty-two. Uh, so this is part two of our ongoing podcast about the aesthetic of Sega games. Uh, so if you missed the uh, first one, you, you can just log into uh, art-eater.com, find our last podcast where we yeah we talked about the awesome uh, blue sky aesthetic of Sega games, what they uh, what they mean to us, you know, and just um, we really just effused over how much we love uh sega games um so sort of the the general conclusion last time was that uh sega games (laughs) as the classic ones they give you this sense of um you know like uh just looking forward to the future that that anything's possible we got we got very philosophical (laughs) so um yeah please flick up that first one and then uh we had so much fun we thought we'd do it again because this is such a huge topic i mean sega is such an amazing company they have uh, so many amazing games, and we, we can't possibly cover everything in just one or two podcasts, but we're, we're going to try anyways. Okay, so, um, yeah, first, some quick introductions. I'm your host, Richmond. I'm the uh, one of the founders of Art Eater, um, and, I yeah, I, I've been making games for several years now. Um, everyone else, let's do a quick, quick roll call. Uh, James?
1: Okay. Uh, I'm James Stanley. I'm actually a... Uh, freelance storyboard artist, comic book artist, and uh, art director, and uh, I am glad to be back talking about one of my favorite companies and their games.
0: Happy to have you. Oh, man. Okay, Thomas?
2: Hey, I'm Thomas. I'm a web developer from France, and I'm such a cliche that that I just cut my tongue while cutting bread, so that's for oh, you know. guys. <laughs> you better take care of that. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I have a... <laughs> I have it under control. I'm super glad to be back uh, to talk about SEGA again.
3: Okay. All right. Um, AJ? <laughs> hey, everyone. It's Adam. Pleased to be here once again. I'm a game and level designer, pixel artist, and also international Taekwondo fighter. Yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm hyped to be here. It's a pleasure once again. I love SEGA. I love talking about SEGA, and I'm, I'm just hyped to do it once again. So let's get it.
0: All right. And then we have a special guest today. Coming back is Chris
4: hi <laughs> i'm chris i uh worked on uh risk system one of the developers at nude industries so yeah glad to be here
0: all right let's go let's go let's go okay who wants to start
3: uh okay i kind of want to do it, do it. I, got, I got one okay. i got one thing that i really want to get into okay so last time we were talking about some beautiful sega games right and i was really really hyped super super happy and i found a whole bunch of other games which i never thought that i would have when when i really started to do some like super deep like research so check it out there's this game and it is so so cute it's adorable it kind of fits in a little bit to one game that we kind of spoke about prior that um ninja baseball like batman in a sense it gives me like a similar kind of vibe it's called try rush like deppy I'm just going to go get some some art of it right now. I'm just going to throw in a quick video too. But it's this game about this little taxi and it has a little travel across America and it came out on the Sega Saturn many many years ago. Huh. And honestly, it's one of the cutest games I've ever seen in my entire life. Published by Nihon uh, Create and yeah, absolutely amazing. Like I really 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 enjoy it. Like I I've, it, I've been having a look at just time. the way in which um that's what I'm saying, like it's so cool. Okay, so check it out. So in the 90s, everyone, every game had, like a, had a mascot platformer, right? So, you know, you had the Crash Bandicoot, you know, got Sonic, obviously, for mascots like Gex and Bubsy, all that stuff. There were many, many, many. But there was this one here, and the Japan only released, oh sorry, it's a Japan only release, and it came out in 1996. Uh, yeah, developed by um, Sub- System Supply and Tech, I believe. And, yeah, like, the game takes place uh, during this race across America. So, during the whole thing, there's no actual kind of racing in the game. It's more like a philosophical race, in a sense. Okay. But, yeah, you're playing as this little, like, anthropomorphic taxi. And you can run around this platformer world. You can find little little um, packages of, like, oil. And you can use that to, you know you know, make sure that your fuel doesn't go down to E. But, yeah, like, it's really, really cool. And I really love it. Just the fact that it's got such beautiful, like, animations, too. Like I have a whole bunch of gifts here that I had like prepared and stuff, just let me get them. Okay, cool. Oh, and some other art as well. But yeah, like it's it's something that I really enjoy just because again it adds these layers of um of character. It has got such a unique kind of charm to it. Everything from the art, the music, The level design like all of it is just it oozes this level of charm that is just really apparent and i think that it's something that a lot of people should know about and look into i think it's really really cool yeah i've got all of my gifts here let me just go get them
0: wow this game's beautiful it's it's a platformer it's a sprite-based platformer Mm -hmm. um very 32-bit looking you know really taking advantage of the extra colors and resolution offered by uh the hardware of the time but it's this is exactly the kind of game that kind of fell between the cracks at the time. Because, you know, I, yep. I think by, by the mid to late 90s, everyone was super into 3D. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, I, I guess people didn't really quite appreciate how special these uh, really polished uh, 2G, 2D games were.
3: Absolutely. I'm Absolutely. Like, yeah. And on top of all of that, on top of all of that, too, like, it actually. Um... What, what's, the, what's the word for it? it it has like a had a little bit of like a cult following i suppose like it wasn't it wasn't like massively popular upon release obviously unfortunately but yeah like there are quite a few people like online who, who do still enjoy it there are numerous like youtube playthroughs of the game there are lots of people who have their own copies and stuff complete with manuals still and honestly those manuals those, are, those copies with manuals they're quite expensive i found some online that were like 400 pounds that's like probably yeah that's probably about like i think almost 400 pounds it's like maybe like 450 dollars maybe to maybe just a little bit more a little bit less something like that but like yeah it's it's a it's a it's a beloved uh, game and it's definitely something that if you know about it you you definitely you're you're involved in a certain like area of the internet kind of it's very very cool
2: that's surprising because the 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 main character it looks like (laughs) Uh, maybe only our French listeners will know that, but the main character looks like a um, um, kid cartoon from the '80s or '90s in France that was called Boombo the small automobile. Okay. <laughs> so that's uh, that, that, that's very uncanny. Do you know to see a game that looks like it? That's fun. yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. and there are a bunch of different like different um, like characters involved in the story and stuff. So like there's like this like lady like car and there's like a there's like a taxi there's like a ninja taxi like shinobi taxi
5: there's like a <laughs> whole
3: bunch of other characters and so if you have a look at some of the art it's so like it's so expressive and stuff and I really mm. really enjoy that every I, every one of these characters has their own distinct personality.
2: I love his uh, his, uh, his, uh dash animation, like yes. when he when he runs like a... <laughs> that's so so cute.
3: Exactly exactly it it's got a really nice sense of um what's the word is it's got a really nice sense of character yeah mm-hmm, and yeah, also yeah. there's another gift that, I, that I've got here i think i'm, I'm going to try and find it now but um yeah there's one for example when he gets kind of like confused he has like a bunch of like birds that like fly around his head right and then like once he's uh, once he's sort of like, done being confused quote unquote like the birds they, they just they fly away <laughs> so like that's quite cool yeah oh i found a couple more of the, of the of these now so yeah check it out like for example you've got stuff like this here so you've got like uh, some of these other gifts and stuff like this that have um, these moments where the characters, again, like they, they really get to show off their personalities and stuff. It's really it's really adorable. I like it.
0: I, <laughs> I love that we use anthropomorphized, like more, more like a beetle than a person, really.
3: Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah it's super cool. I, I, I got to play this. This looks 100%. fantastic. Wow,
2: it's like it's like cars, but with even more expressive and uh, way before. That the uh, yeah, yeah. Pixar did it, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's impressive. Yeah. And I love the, the the backgrounds and things like that. It reminds me of uh, Castle of Illusion, the the Mickey Mouse, you know, game. I think mm. there's this kind of wonder inside it.
3: Yeah. No, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is actually quite funny as well because when we spoke about that game and stuff. I was actually having to think about games that I wanted to try and like, find that would be kind of similar in terms of that, again, that, that personification of, a, of an emotion, that kind of adventurous uh, personality and stuff. And it's funny, actually, one of the most expressive characters that I could find was an anthropomorphic car. It just, like, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of silly. You know I mean? Yeah, of all things, right? I really think so, but like, they gave him so much character, like, just absolutely full of energy and life and stuff. Yeah, really, really cool. And also one other sort of like last thing just to sort of like close out on. There are some moments where you see different bits and pieces of like art throughout like the story, and there's this one, there's this one um, beautiful uh, spread here, and it's got like a little like love letter floating in the water, whilst it's like whilst um, a boat is sort of like sailing across the ocean, and like the sky is all dark black. There's some beautiful like white birds in the in the background, and it's got this beautiful. Like uh, blue text that says "Ignorance is bliss," and then a little, uh, you know, like love letter floating in the water, that saying "Debbie, I love you" with a heart like sticker on it. And it's just like it makes you think so much about how this game—it has such a silly, like uh, it's got such a silly um, premise. This mm. <laughs> this little taxi that has to travel across America and stuff in in this race, but it's got all of these really cool, like emotional underpinnings, and like, it's just it's just wild to think about. You would you would never think that such a game could have such emotion to it and have such you know interesting and intriguing senses of character it's, re- it's really cool yeah yeah oh also last thing as well las vegas is featured in it of course in the kind of like casino like zone and it's just so funny looking at this little taxi in like las vegas it's hilarious
2: like of course yeah. there's going to be a, a casino uh <laughs> team you know that's stage it. that's so fun yeah
3: but that, that's it anyway so that's a, that's my first one um, yeah, try Rush Dappy. That's T-R-Y, then Rush R-U-S-H, Dappy D-E-P-P-Y. If you just Google that, or just check it out on YouTube, it's for the sake of from Nihon Create. Yeah, real good stuff. Yeah, one of the Game things on. I'm here, I did.
1: <laughs> oh wow, look at that. Uh, one of the things I really notice here is that not just the main character, the the taxi, has like so much life and personality, but anything that's animated. In this game like the enemies the bosses like there's like uh i don't know if this guy this guy has like a sombrero on and like maracas mm-hmm. and he's just like dancing the night away like in the background of one of these stages like like everything here is so individualized like you believe the world that this is in you know even with like such a small brief introduction you're just like yeah yeah this is this is just a normal day in the life right like like even the way that, like, the trees are drawn like everything in this game is like i've never seen a game that looks like this like it it just is a very individual identity uh with what's going on here and it's really cool to see
0: mm-hmm. it is Absolutely. Uh, very characteristic of like a sega saturn game though right like you, like you've never seen a game like oh, it oh of but course you, of you course. know it's a saturn game right away somehow yeah yeah
1: yeah, something about the font choices, the way that the colors are used, and just the amount of two D animation going on. It's just like, yeah, this is a a Saturn experience. Kind of wish I had this game. Hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely got to, got Well, I don't think I don't think I'll spend four hundred pounds on it, but I'll I'll yeah. get <laughs> it somehow. Somehow I'll play it. Definitely. Yeah.
3: definitely. Right, so what do you guys got? What do you guys got? That was mine. That was that was Dappy. What, what do you okay. guys got?
5: <laughs>
2: I'm not sure I can rival rival with a with a car. So uh,
3: <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I got to ask you, yeah, Chris. What what do you think about Dappy, man?
4: Um, it actually reminds me a lot of another uh platformer. Okay. It also came out on the 32x called Tempo.
3: Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 That, that that's right here. I was looking. I was just looking at that yeah.
4: earlier. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah, is beautiful. and yeah, lots, tons of charm. Um. Yeah, I and, and yeah, again, you'd sort of um, touched upon like the HUD, like and like the like the overall like HUD design and user interface and whatnot. Like, definitely has that Saturn feel where they're really flexing their color usage in 2D. And like, so like, you know, it's not just like salt, like, you know, every, all the, you know, all the numbers are metallic. Everything has like mm-hmm. a feeling of texture and material. So yeah, it um, it's like a blend of just all sorts of things that I love. <laughs>
3: <clears throat> no, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I was actually thinking of Tempo. That that was going to be my, my next one. Like uh, b- both well, these okay. games we're talking about, they're not they're not first-party Sega games, but they feel so much like they're on a Sega system, right? They they're very emblematic of it. Yeah. T- Tempo has hey. such a cool aesthetic cuz it's um so like, you know, we we were saying this is the this was the golden age of mascot games, right? At the time people complained mm-hmm. there were mm-hmm. too many. But there were so many <laughs> cool ones like Tempo is this weird like funky dancing bug and he, he's um, uh, ki- much like Sonic the Hedgehog he's kind of uh, got a very old school like a Fleischer era vibe to him but it's also the execution is very very like 90s Japan so so it's like a rather than just looking backwards for inspiration it's 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 a nice marriage of like you know really classic stuff and like what was really cutting edge at the time and um, the animation and tempo is so good it's it's super high quality he's always dancing around and there's just so much personality to everything and I think this was the era where like you start getting people who are like really trained animators uh, animating on games and able to use Mm. all of that expertise they got from you know animating on tv or movies like uh, that that's that's super apparent in tempo Um, and in fact uh, uh, just a quick anecdote about tempo Um, i don't know uh, if you guys follow uh, milton knight he's a really awesome uh, animator comic book artist uh, he's most famous for developing uh, the look of Dr. Robotnik for the classic uh, Sonic cartoon, ah. right? The, mm-hmm. the one where, you know, the, 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 the really silly Fleischer-esque one where he was always eating chili dogs and just, it, it was episodic and uh, um, mm-hmm. I think it was the, at the time there were two Sonic cartoons in America. I, this was the more irreverent one. And it's got the, uh, you know, the, the, the Fleischer era looking uh, Robotnik that, that's, very memeable, very popular, um, hmm. and he's, Mil- yeah, Milton Knight, awesome animator, and uh, he, he's got a very kind of um, surly persona, like the dude's really uh, been through the ringer, he's experienced life, you know, he's, um, frankly, hmm. he's quite sick of the animation by now, at this point in his life, and um, at the time, people had kept asking him about um, Cuphead, because, you know, Cuphead's beautiful, wow. and I, I think it's a beautiful game, it's a labor of love, love letter to this old school style stuff, and then people were like, Hey Milton, what do you think of this? And he was like, Eh, it's been done before. I don't get it. Like I don't get why you kids <laughs> you know wanna just remake make, remake the past, right? And then I remember yeah. I, I was like, Hey, hey Milton, what do you what do you think about Tempo? And I showed him Tempo and he was like, All right, this is cool <laughs> So he <laughs> was like you know like, <laughs> it's it's not a rehash, right? It's like he, he felt like okay, like they're they're doing something different. It's got its own and I I, I, I love cuphead uh, so I'm not this is not me uh, not a knock on cuphead from my perspective but I, I just thought it was really funny that this this very um, experienced animator uh, had that reaction yeah so <laughs> it passed to the milton Knight test which is a very nice. difficult test to pass <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay I'm going I'm going next and I'm Go going next it. with a very obvious game but one of the games i spent i think one of most of the one of the sega games i spent most of the time is b- of course the shenmue series oh yeah have you uh, you've played it
3: have you played it i've i've heard a lot about it never played any of them myself but mm-hmm. i've played through um, super <laughs> patchful for talking about the shenmue games yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I played one mm-hmm. and two
2: uh, yeah. I I didn't play yeah. it three because uh, a lot of people advised me against it. I was, <laughs> I was super hyped when it finally came out, and I was like, okay, I don't care if it's you know a bit dated or if it plays like the old ones, but apparently it's it's worse than the old ones. So I was like, okay, well, I'll pass for now. Well, I wanted to 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 talk about those games because you know we we've talked about. Um, about the, the possibilities, the freedom, the things like that, and that's that's funny because this game is all about being free, and uh, and uh, but it doesn't really have, the, you know, the the crazy aesthetics that we've talked about in the last episode, because you can you can basically go up and you are in your bedroom and you can open. Every, <laughs> everything and look at everything in detail and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And I remember when I was playing this game thinking, wow, that's uh, that's something, you know, that's something very, very different. But uh, And this game was all about being free and, uh, and, and doing it whatever you want, but it wasn't so very restrictive. But what impressed me the most about this game, particularly the, the second one, was the oh it was uh, a super cool like kind of action movie hong kong action movie in the second one have you played the uh, shenmue 2 uh, all of you
1: yes, mm-hmm. I, yes. I, I i have
2: for sure you you remember when you, you when you get into kowloon and uh, you're with ren and you basically are running everywhere <laughs> inside buildings and things like yes that? yes that, that, that was so crazy and even the the first part is super great and i remember feeling something super i'm going to feel like very countryside guy for a moment and i'm very sorry about this especially for our our, uh i won't say uh asian listeners but basically i grew up in a city of like 3,000 people in the west of france you know and uh i've never been in paris uh before only one time and when i was like i think it was 20 I went uh, in Paris um, to to my girlfriend's family, and my uh, my family was uh, our family was um, living near the <laughs> the Chinese neighborhood in Paris, the 13 uh, neighborhood, and uh, and I remember going into the um, th- there was a, a covered you know shop market district, and I remember going inside this and thinking, oh my fucking god, it's like Shenmue too. <laughs> And I said it to my girlfriend, and she <laughs> and she was like, "You're impossible. Like, have you? Did, did, can you? Can you please get out of your, you know, countryside France for a moment, please?" But that was that was the testament of, oh well, you know, Ranred the World was in those games. I really, really enjoyed it, and uh, even if it's very dated, because um, because the, even the the game came into was out in two thousand, I think. But it's supposed to present Japan in the 80s, so it was, you know, already an a an non-existing, animal Japan and China when it came out, you know. But I was like, "Wow, that's there's something very, very special about th- those games for this reason," and uh, I really enjoyed it.
0: Hey, you know, I, I will say yeah. to, to to your point about how it reminded you of Shenmue, and you, you just said, you know, Shenmue takes place in the past, right? and then um, Mm -hmm. when people when people immigrate and establish communities uh, overseas they tend to be locked into that time period when they immigrated over right so a lot of people like say Chinese people Japanese people when they visit you know Chinatowns Japan towns and other countries they're like oh this is quaint because it reminds me of like what you know what it it, it was like like decades ago right so people tend Mm -hmm. to just capture that place in time and then and then move that forward so so i think i think your response was actually pretty appropriate <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it was really a shock because you know you, you're not you, you can feel things in real life that you felt you know in in uh, in video games i think that i don't know maybe if you play like very immersive open world games maybe something like red dead redemption you know and after that, you you go into the United States and go on a ride, a horse ride or something like that in, in in the gigantic spaces you you have in this country. You might feel the same feeling, you know. But that was a first for me. Like that was yeah. something very very special well, happening at this moment.
0: I, I... I think that's a genuine testament to that game because that that game was about it was the first video game that was like so hyper focused on the mundane and just getting so many mundane little details, obviously, it's still a very stylized representation of like Chinese and Japanese culture, but it got a lot of little things right. So it's not as if you were like, oh, this is just like Mortal Kombat or something. right? <laughs> 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 like, yeah, that would be you, a very different story. <laughs> you, your frame of reference had basis in reality. Right?
2: Yeah, that, that's not like you watch, you know, uh, bad American ninja kung fu movies yeah and and go into the (laughs) chinese market and be like oh my god it's like my ninja movies and absolutely (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, (laughs) (laughs) so i was like yeah that's that's one of the the most special memories i have related to a a sega game wanted to share with you because that was very very special very fun
0: Yeah, we, we, right, we could do some... a whole podcast on 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 just Shenmue, and we probably yeah. will. <laughs> That's but, so true. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's let's, happening. Let's let's move on. Let's keep it breezy today.
5: Mm-mm-mm.
1: All right, so I guess I guess I'll go next. Uh, you know, I guess we're talking about games that sort of uh, embody like a particular like feel. Uh, I mean, I grew up watching a lot of. Like action movies, like cop movies and stuff, like as a kid and just kind of getting immersed uh, in those sort of like movies and what they felt like. And, uh, you know, I watched a lot of those movies with my dad and, uh, you know, he actually played a lot of games that I guess would be considered like first person, uh, like Operation Wolf and stuff like that. And one of the games that he really liked that I pointed out to him uh, that uh, we spent a lot of money playing was Virtual Cop. Uh, uh that game for me is like a it's like a it's like a b-roll impression of like american or like some hong kong cinema like cop movies where you're just in this non-distinct like town you were a cop in this non-distinct town and you were just shooting bad guys and like the music The way that the sound design works, it's like everything is just enough to give you this idea of you are now in an action movie. They don't waste time. They just kind of throw you, like, into it. I mean, it's a game that's obviously dated, you know, so it's like when you look at it, it doesn't look very realistic. But the shapes and the way that everything is modeled, it gives you just enough of an impression of, like, you are cruising through a busy city shooting bank robbers or some sort of hooded criminals. Like we don't know. Like it's just, it's just what it is. And weirdly enough, like I think that actually helps the game because it's just like, there's not too much of a story for you to figure out. You've got a gun. You are a cop. You are busting up criminals. And it just feels like an old action movie. Um, And I feel like it's felt like that between like the first and second game. So like, that's where a lot of that experience is for me um, and it was one of the few games I could play with my dad because like if I played fighting games with him like it just didn't go in his favor but like when we would play like virtual cop like he was just like you know shooting his way through the game on like one quarter and just kind of seeing that was really cool but just the overall basic feeling of it the game didn't try to do too much it just basically was like hey we're gonna throw you in an action game you're gonna shoot at bad guys you might be on a busy highway uh trucks might be exploding in front of you or thrown at you uh i still don't know how that boss could throw a truck at me but i mean <laughs> like that's it is what it is but it's just sort of like this larger than life of bizarre sort of romp through uh, a game and i feel like the simplicity of it is what like sort of drew, drew me in and it just made it fun for me yeah. it was really cool yeah
0: I, I i feel like um something that game did really well uh, was it, it? just continued that weird abstraction of reality that you take for granted in in two D games. They they just went full bore yeah. with that in three D. Like they didn't really try to lean into the you know, trying to make it too cinematic or too realistic. Like it was, you know, still pretty bizarre. <laughs> it was an abstraction <laughs> of reality. It. And, yeah, that's yeah. like the best way it's, to really
1: describe it. Um, you know, like it. Was, it definitely yeah.
0: made by people who had experience making like sprite-based 2d games
4: mm. and the over-the-top nature you know lended more to that again that like sort of carnival or like feel where everything is just very big and it's it's more of like the idea of a good guy versus a bad guy versus the idea of you're playing as police because it definitely doesn't go that way <laughs> like yeah, it's, it's just it's yeah, very much, definitely like, hyper idealized as possible where like these people are doing an absolute bad thing this guy has a <laughs> rocket launcher chair <laughs> it's like okay yeah
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's true it's and that's kind of how i felt whenever i was watching like you know an action movie as a kid it was just like all right I and mean, these guys clearly are terrible you know, mm-hmm. like, so you're clearly here to do what you need to do, and, like, it just... When I played those games, it felt like it was, like, an impersonation of, like, a lot of, like, B-movies, you know, that happened to deal with, like, cops, like, solving... Well, not even solving, I mean, because they did no detective work in a lot of those things. Just it's, right it, out, it's, it's not even just cool.
3: solving, it's, like, it's inserting themselves within a the situation, brute-forcing the situation, and then being, like, okay, well, bad guys are dead, everything's cool now. Yeah, Walk everything's up, good. That, like, yeah there's a lot to be said about the way in which like the police have been depicted through media just in terms of again like especially in games for example again like in resident evil like especially in terms of some of the most popular games with like two and like leon and stuff like that Uh, another another thing which i often think about as well is in fighting games even like chun Li is like a police officer like an international one yeah that's true there's there's a lot to be said about how it is that we see these for sure even just randomly as well In Mortal Kombat, police officer in there. Like, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even Eddie in Final Fight.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, the whole cast is Streets of Rage. They're, they're all cops. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Too, yeah. It's, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's So disconnected from reality. I, I don't think of them as such. Like, <laughs> it's yeah, There's such cartoons. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, especially the car that comes with a rocket launcher, and uh,
1: you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. fires at thugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whenever you need it, it just drives up, and there's a guy with a rocket launcher, and it's like, yes, I am enforcing the law.
2: Yeah. Yep.
4: Mm-mm. That's low. Loitering on my watch.
2: On my watch, there's always going to be a rocket launcher available for my (laughs) citizens.
3: (laughs) Oh, no, absolutely. Has to be. Has to be.
2: Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh. But, yeah, I had a lot of fun with
3: those
2: games. So, what about you, Chris? What's, uh, What's the next game you've got for us?
4: Oh, man. So, this is extremely difficult because there's so many that i want to <laughs> talk about yeah, that's why <laughs> but, i'm asking you <laughs> yeah um cause, so initially when i thought when i heard talking about police i thought we were going to talk about the dynamite cop games because oh. so, those are oh, so dynamite so Deca? oh sega, man. yeah those are so very sega um like yeah. i mean literally there's that like uh chicken thing that you ride in golden axe is yes. dynamite yeah in dynamite cop 2 um hmm. on the on the pirate <laughs> island you eventually i mean listen to what i'm even saying to the pirates <laughs> exactly, <island, yeah>. like <laughs> it's just it's like it is just level stuff. Yeah, it is very just unbridled like here's here's carnival time let's have fun uh, and like that's yeah. So that's the thing that I, that's where I thought you were going. So I, I just wanted to mention that as being just so very much like emblematic of that Sega like aesthetic and just capturing that arcade feel. Because I played, I played the second one. I I'm playing in arcades. I played it on the Dreamcast. Um. So that was very. It yeah, but it still ca- very much captured that arcade feel, which then I. I like sort of just roll into um the game that i would hate myself for not talking about at length and that would be fantasy star online yes. yeah the oh original. yeah
5: yeah mm. <laughs> and
4: of course like so th- the game had been in production i think starting in 97 or 98 and uh it came out in japan 2000 stateside like like other regions i think early 2001 and the visuals in that game you know, it, it was so much like what you had seen in the arcades but capturing this like entire world you know in a kind of like you know in that so, sort of like in that shenmue way where you just feel like oh wow like the scale is crazy then there was just that like it's that re the feeling of being taken to a different place because mm. in the original game there was only four areas really to to explore but like they all just due to like partial randomization of maps like they felt so massive because you could get different layouts and everything but just like you know the way the original forest like forest one looked like on, you know, on a CRT TV, it was just mind blowing because it was like it looks like I'm looking into this like real place. And yeah. <laughs> when you look at those when you look at those lower um, resolution screenshots, especially like it still just holds up like it has this feeling of an actual space um, because mm-hmm. a lot of their lighting what they they weren't using like actual cast shadows like everything was baked or vertex color which is, like, a way of generalizing shadows, which tends to look a lot better because you don't, like, there's not all those, um un, like, unaccounted for weird shapes that yes. you get in. Like, like I remember mm-hmm. during, like, the 360 era, like, those consoles, like, when everything started pushing real-time, like, ray trace or, like, or, yeah. the, or the real-time shadows, like, you'd get just all these bizarre shadows coming off of people's faces, or just, and like, like there were just everywhere and the games that didn't do that like looked the best and like you know when i look at pso i a lot like i i see a lot of like monster hunter 3 in particular oh, because yeah. that game was still was still going with baked vertex lighting and it was so much better looking for it like, everything was you know readable it stylized and but still felt like this world and like that, like my first taste of that was definitely in Uh, fantasy star online and and it's actually funny because when you um they're using this approach when they did do further ports of the game on other systems they started making the lighting more advanced the game actually started to look a little look not quite as good they were using real shadows and it kind of started to clash with the geometry because they were still using just very simple geometry and mostly self-illuminated textures and i know i'm just I'm going a little maybe too under the hood. No, 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 <laughs> go keep
3: going.
0: Yeah,
4: yeah, but um, it allowed them to just you know really concentrate on silhouettes, and then like the textures would speak so much for the actual volume of the characters that you're looking at, and you know the monsters and everything. And so, you know, when they would enter a different lighting situation, there the shadows on them would change, but only in the most general way. But it was very instantly readable and understandable, and it really just worked so well like I there were so many times playing the game online with friends where you would be in ruins which is like the final area of that game and there's like there would be these like landscapes way off that you couldn't reach but you could just sort of see them through like a like a window or like a broken yeah. off area and you're just like when we'd sit there and stare and just sort of theorize like okay where are we like what is this because like the game had this this definite feel of um like even though each area was separate and it was instance, it felt connected because you started in a forest which you en- you ended the forest the battle in what was called the central dome which is this big mechanical pyramid thing and it you know the battle in there was against a dragon and that dragon's space kind of led you into the cave system. And then the cave system went down. And eventually you fight this giant, you know, water serpent worm thing called De Role. And, like, you beat, you know, you fight that. And that leads you into the mines, which are even deeper. And then the mines lead you to the ruins, which almost feels like it's in an, a separate space completely. And, you know, it almost gives you this, like, sort of, like, you know, the geo front from Evangelion like sort of feel where it's like it feels like i'm outside but i know i'm deeper in the ground than i've been in any of the other <laughs> points so it had this very otherworldly feel and i would it would be and there's a lot of i feel like um i'm, I'm not i can't recall the the mechanical designer that worked on, or the mechanical designers that worked on like evan galleon but there's a lot of weapons in fantasy star online that definitely feel uh Ava inspired even the Hugh cast feels very much like an Ava. So the Hugh cast is this uh, character, which is just like a robot version of the, uh, you know, Hunter uh, class. And it looks very much like an Evangelion. And then, yeah, a lot of the suits they wear, as someone pointed out here, they remind, you know, it's they kind of resemble the plug suits. Yeah, the plug suits, um,
3: the diving suit aesthetic, yeah. Yep. I just said that yeah. like it reminds me of so much of like Oscar suit, especially, with mm-hmm. that kind of that bright red and the and the darkness of it too. Yeah, for sure.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it there's just so many like they they put together so many like disparate elements and it all worked just so well and it still felt very distinctly like Fantasy Star, and particularly like Fantasy Star Four. There was just a lot of uh monsters referenced and the one of the other cool things is just how like i would almost say a lot of the monsters in ruins i had this like sort of weird art deco aesthetic Or they they have these really abstracted um forms yeah and it was they it was just so like you know it, it also kind of harkened back a bit to like panzer dragoon but mm. um yeah just a, and it's hard to sort of not see those like abstract form monsters as also being like a sort of an Evangelion influence because like, you know, the angels and Ava are very much like a lot of them have just, Uh, they're, they're, they're sculptural. They're very much like their forms, but they don't like their anatomy. Doesn't necessarily communicate like living, breathing thing, Mm. you know? And that was really, um, that was just a really cool thing to see because again yeah, a lot of the a lot of the monsters in fantasy star just like weren't like you know they're, they're they're based on things of some kind but they aren't instantly recognizable like they're a lot of they don't you know they're not like here's the goblin you know yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just like here's some bizarre aliens It was just really cool to be playing around in that world and they did such a good like they they knew it was important to flesh it out and they knew how to flesh it out like on a budget like they knew like how much to let the player roam how much to let them see like what should be visible like invisible enough to give you the impression of this entire you know expansive living breathing world
3: yeah Mm. yeah Uh, i just want to point out very quickly that um in actual fact, I just found this out. I'm not a massive Fantasy Star like, Online uh, stan, but uh, I just found out that uh, Evangelion had a collaboration with uh, Fantasy Star Online 2. And like yeah, they actually put like characters in, and like they put a lot of the actual characters like in suits, and the actual Ava units and stuff, and the and some really cool mechs. Some of those uh, uh some of those angel-like monsters, without that giant blue one that changes shape and stuff. There's a trailer for it, and I found that, I found this out literally just now whilst I was watching. So, yeah, there was uh, at some stage an official, Phantasy Star Online two and Evangelion collaboration. That's pretty cool.
0: Uh, real quick, the mecha lead mecha designer for Evangelion is uh, Ikuto Yamashita. And uh, y- you can follow them on Twitter at Ikuto, I-K-U-T-O underscore Yamashita. Y- Y-A-M-A-S-H-I-T-A. Uh, amazing mecha designer. And uh, just influenced everything from the 90s onward. Um, yeah, Fantasy Star is such a cool aesthetic. I, I, I just want to expand on... Uh, so many things <laughs> that you brought up Chris um, uh, first of all just that feeling of the expansive world right like something we talked about in the last podcast we, we mostly talked about uh, Sega's 2d games was how good they were at making you feel placed within a world right like it made you feel like even though you only had that strict 2d view and gameplay that the world just continued in every direction and you were you were just seeing a, a small part of it right and um mm. I feel like Fantasy Star Online was like when when you get beamed into that first environment you're like oh I'm really stepping into there now like like that was a big deal man cuz like this was already several years into um, you know 3D gaming being the the new norm but like they just took it to another level like like everything was just so tidy and like like you were saying like it's just everything was well done it it wasn't any one thing it was the cumulative effect of like Everything being so polished that it gave you a much better sense of place, and that that that's something I've been wondering about a long time. Is like w- when I recall my first impression of so many uh, like Sega games, like uh, you know Virtual Fighter One, Two, um, uh, Fantasy Star Online. It's like it was so impressive, and I rarely feel that like ever. And but it, it's weird. Like even if I go back to Virtual Fighter Two or or that that very first fantasy star (laughs) for dreamcast it still looks impressive and i think it's not just nostalgia i think it's what you said like everything was so perfectly um optimized for the exact technology of the time and just they were just putting you know decades of experience um starting on like really simple 2d games like 8-bit 16-bit 32-bit games all the way like all that was stacking up until like you know fantasy star like that's why I think it still looks good like 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 you were saying it's a very good decision to use the the vertex lighting rather than try to mess around with the real-time lighting which frankly like just they had the foresight to know like this doesn't actually look good it's impressive because it's novel right now but it doesn't actually look good and you know it it has games that do rely on real-time lighting from that era like tend to not age well right but like man that game just feels so real like you you really feel like you're there like for for me visually it's more immersive than like you know horizon zero dawn or something which is like super detailed super advanced like a you know amazing art 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 direction and like a, the team it's it's a, a technical marvel but sort of the the way it comes together like the colors and stuff it's um got that instagrammy post uh color correction color uh, like really color graded look and like really sharp mm. real-time shadows and it's for me, it's like very uncanny valley. But like when I look at you know something like Fantasy Star Online, it's uh, it's just right. It's 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 a representation of reality, and it's aiming for the feeling of reality rather than like uh, uh you know replicating the way photons work. It's it's more like replicating. Well, how does this stuff like stick in your memory? And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think it's still like awesome. <laughs> it's just really appealing still.
3: No, absolutely yeah
4: definitely um there's definitely just a focus on making sure that it you know it it, they're yeah capturing the feeling or the way that you would remember something versus just literally rendering it like you know there's so many you know god rays you know lights going through the uh the tree canopies in forest one but the way that they're the way that they're coming in at different angles, you know, implies that there was like eight or nine different suns, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but like, it doesn't feel weird when you're playing it. Like, it feels like, oh yeah, cool. And like, they did this simple trick where they rotated the texture coordinates of these like rays, the, like the, the alpha map for the, for the light texture, like coming in. And so what it would give you is be the impression, like the leaves are moving, even though the leaves weren't moving at all. Because the because the light was, like, just kind of rotating, you know, very slowly, it felt like, oh, like, this is that feeling of when you see, like, light rays, like, dancing between leaves blowing in the wind. But, like, none of that movement was really there, but it felt like it was there. And that was, like, they're like, how do we make the player feel that? And that yeah. was, that seemed to be a guiding principle and what made a lot of that stuff, like, stand the test of time.
2: Oh, man, there's something, is. there's something I like in the the screenshot you shared about Fantasy Star. Is oh textures were used on the Dreamcast. I'm not sure if you if you noticed it, but it's like suddenly they could you know put very detailed texture with bright colors in the game, and and <laughs> they put it on every Sega first party game, like for example the. Um, the if you play Sonic Adventure or Sonic Adventure 2, you'll notice some things like uh, when you play, for example, you know the 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 Knuckles or Rouge, uh, Red the Bat uh, stages where you have to travel into very intricate stages, 3D stages. Do you remember? Uh, uh, maybe Adam, if you've played it, them. Do you remember the 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 the. Gritty, very realistic texture that are you know repeated <laughs> so mm-hmm. many, so no, many I, times.
3: I, I, I absolutely get what you mean.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's always something that uh, you know. It's like for me, it's very, very the. Um, it's like one aesthetic thing from the Dreamcast period that we could only find in such a way on the Dreamcast. Because of course, other consoles like the Xbox or the PS2 use textures. Well, the, the PS2, uh, I think, a bit less texture because the, the memory was not uh, did not allowed a, a yeah, big I'm, usage of them. I'm, I'm but, literally uh,
0: looking that up. The Dreamcast had more uh, texture RAM than the PS2, actually.
2: Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the way when you when you look at those games right now, you're like, oh, my God, the, the te- they didn't hesitate. You know, they're like, oh, my, oh that's that's green leaf texture. I'm going to plaster that texture everywhere. <laughs>
3: and they plastered the textures them was, everywhere. It was a lot. It reminds, it does remind you a lot of like when you first um, teach someone about just the nature of texturing and when just, you know, when you slab just any texture onto just like any mesh. And it just, it looks Mm. so flat, and like, just for the very first time, you're just getting used to, you know, the idea of adding those onto something. And just think again, like, no, like, material values, no, like, specularity, no anything else, no roughness, no do you know what I mean? Like, they're they're just adding just this flat version of, like, what grass or what moss or what bark would be or whatever. Yeah, Mm. it, it makes you think a lot about how, just at the time, this was such a marvel. But then again, like just looking back now, it just yeah, it does it does look jarring. It, it really really does. But again, mm-hmm. it's like it's one of those things that happens, isn't it? Like as Richard was saying, like in terms of um the way that time moves and stuff. The wood one that you just put in there, that's like a mm. perfect example as well. It's like, it feels almost as though it's like, it's like it's plastic in a sense, like plastic wrapping or like wallpaper on, on mm. a flat yes. surface, as opposed to actually embodying the uh, the material in and of itself, which is something that would later come on through the utilization of a PBR. Yeah, physical based mm. rendering stuff. So yeah, it's that's interesting a... stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah, That was that's something, since we're talking about the aesthetics, that's one of the things that I remember more the most about the Dreamcast, you know, and that's uh, <laughs> that's how texture were used. Like they were super detailed for the time, and uh, you always had the the feeling that you were walking or climbing on something, you know. And you, it was not deforming or something like that. But uh, when you were walking on leaves, that was like a shit ton of leaves of uh, <laughs> leaves. Sorry, and I really really enjoyed that because it participated in what you what you explained before you know this thing about you know that it's not a real tree you know it's not moving you know it's not real dirt or real wood but it gives you the feeling it is and it 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 burns in your brain that it is you know (laughs) that's amazing that's amazing it's very evocative but evocative with with Basically, realistic-like textures that can't be used at the time in a very realistic way because they were repeating a lot. So that's a uh, that's a bit like the the next step after the the huge Sega blue. You know, <laughs> that's the, yeah, the yeah, Sega yeah. textures for me. That was the, the thing. Absolutely, <clears throat> yeah. really enjoyed it. And when I was looking at your at the the screenshots of Fantasy Star that you you sent, uh, Chris, I was like, oh my god, this. This ground texture—it's the same in the forest stage in (laughs) Sonic Two, you know. It gave me the exact same feeling, So that's uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Ah, those guys.
4: Uh, And there's another thing you'll you might notice um, is so Sega's like yeah they they would use um, uh, like assets and stuff between games, but also sound assets. Um, like, so there's this, you know, the sound of a Buma, which is like those like bear enemies in fantasy star, like when they die, their scream, uh, sounds exactly like, I think it's like the third boss in house. It gets the same it, in house of the dead too. <laughs> yeah, they use the yeah. same scream between those, those games and they like, yeah, they'll use, uh, like, cause you know, some of these things like tileable textures, like, it's a lot easier to make a tileable texture these days because we have like really smart, like, you know, we have like um, programs that can let you draw in multiple positions and stuff. And like, or but like a tileable texture was more of a challenge in the early 2000s because mm-hmm. like one of the things that you'll notice with a lot of these really good things is that like you can tell it's repeating, but you don't see the seam. But like, yes, like, but mm-hmm. when you look at like say like a lot of N64 games, there's just like texture seams everywhere just so like because it was just like well how do you do that how do you make an image wrap around itself like it takes a lot of work (laughs) Mm
5: -hmm. and the
4: higher the higher resolution the texture the harder it is to not have a visible seam so it was just yeah so you'd see those like you know rock textures and stuff you know in different games throughout that you know the early you know the dreamcast era it was just mm-hmm. like you know, it it got me really into making. Or like, oh, I want to learn how to do that. Like making like photos into these textures and making them repeatable. And it was just like, yeah, you know, fun to like you know, apply mm-hmm. me- that onto like a mesh and stuff. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that was the first generation of like a lot of photo based uh, textures, right? Because during the thirty two bit era, yeah, you, know, you basically had to treat textures as pixel art. Yeah, you, you know you. You were lucky to have, like, a 32 by 32 texture back then. Um, and, and it limited to 256 colors. Uh, y- y- I think a lot of games probably limited it to, to like, 16 colors per texture just to keep things really low. But, uh, yeah, Dreamcast era, PS2 era, the limits exploded. And, um, yeah, because <laughs> of that, I guess sometimes you get kind of garish-looking stuff. But uh, I think overall the game still um, aged pretty well like because they, they still – focused on having clarity so even though you have these really mm. sharp textures they do kind of recede um when you have the very iconic uh, colorful uh, uniform colored characters on top like in sonic um yeah
1: yeah somehow it still worked yeah. you know like yeah. even without within all of its uh exploration like it yeah. made it it was like at the time right because obviously it was you know you're still dealing with limitations like the iconic aspect of a character like sonic against that background like it you still could see what you needed to see without it being like necessarily visually painful i mean obviously we've evolved from this so like going back and looking at it like sometimes you're like oh man that's what it was but at that time it was just like wow this is amazing because i mean no one was not not many people really doing this kind of stuff you know
0: it was the inverse of um a lot of games at the time, you know, they they did the the inverse where like if, if you look back at um like Goldeneye or Max Payne where they had like the obvious like photo texture, on top of yes yeah person <laughs> and that looks like hmm. really bizarre. I at the time Absolutely. even I thought that was weird, but um it, it's 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 very strange now. But uh... yeah yeah
3: it's kind of a meme now even honestly. Oh yeah, it the has its own more, charm. Uh, you know? Yeah, the whole like the whole like Sam Lake face type thing, yeah, and all that yeah. stuff like yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, wax. Yeah, well,
2: it's, it's yeah. Big did, joke. Didn't we celebrate the 20 years of Max Payne recently? By <laughs> yeah, we did. But yeah, I to, yeah I, we I did. Yeah. To go into something.
3: I want to go into something that would lead us into a 20 year anniversary, real quick. Yeah. Uh, uh, I knew, oh. I knew it. Yeah, you know, you, you know what's coming. You know what's coming anyway, I want to talk about one thing, then I want to, talk, I want to lead it into something else. All right. so check this out, okay? So. One of uh, a, co- a cool game which I look which I've been looking into recently. Um, wait, wait, Shining the Holy Ark, you know, first person role playing video game, oh, yeah. uh, came out obviously in 1997 for Sega Saturn. Very very cool. Part of the Sega's, part of Sega's uh, Shining series of uh, video games, but was developed by uh, Camelot Software Planning. And today, even right right now as we're, as we're speaking, we're literally celebrating the uh, the twentieth birthday of um, Golden Sun, one of my favorite games of all time. <laughs> really, really cool. Also, we had a uh, Matoi Sakuraba work on that as well as obviously you know those shining uh, games, also Shining the Holy Ark and stuff. But I just wanted to throw that out there very quickly, at least anyway, before I sort of like go back into this. But happy uh, 20th to Golden Sun. I uh, hope that something else does come of it one day. But yeah, really, really cool game. If anyone gets the time, do have a look into it. It's great. But mm-hmm. sort of revert and go backwards very quickly. Yeah, Shining the Holy Ark is. A really really interesting game like in terms of like immersion and stuff like that too I've been having a look at it and it's actually quite interesting just in terms of the way in which that they'd, they'd be um, utilizing the inside of like uh, what would you call it like, inside of like forests and like dungeons and like all these really cool looking areas and you'd just be walking around them in this interesting sort of first-person perspective and in my opinion like it's kind of you can you can see like the bones of like what it is that they wanted to do with something like a Golden Sun only it's just in first person like they've got, they've got this wonderful knack for making these believable worlds and these interesting locations and stuff and that obviously bled through into their other works and stuff but yeah obviously again the music's wonderful composed by mito sakuraba one of the best um composers in my opinion one of my all-time favorites and yeah really really interesting to see the uh, the, the blueprints if you will
2: that's that's super strange because when you look it's the first person exploration RPG game basically. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it, you're like, oh my god, there's a, there is a kind of you know, when you are moving into the 3D environment, because obviously you can't move in, there's a world map like most RPGs at the time. But I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, it feels like the Japanese version of the Elder Scrolls, the old yeah. Elder Scrolls before, you know, um, before, before they went Skyrim, full 3D. Yeah, yeah. before yeah, Even before... No, probably, uh, not yeah. even before even before Morrowind, basically. Yeah. Morrowind. Like, uh, yeah, before Morrowind even, and so that's uh, that's super surprising that such a game exists, basically, mm-hmm. because it it's such a mix of influences. Okay. That's Absolutely. funny.
0: I, yeah yeah, I just want to say real quick. I mean, the, these games started with, um, as far as I know, the earliest one was uh, Shining in the Darkness for for the uh, mm-hmm. Mega Drive, and um, you know that one had this really cool cartoony like anime style that still felt very um like western fantasy like brian Frau mm-hmm. jim henson workshop kind of fantasy but uh even that had the first person view and that, that's a throwback to pc games so uh you know yeah. stuff like uh, mm-hmm. uh eye of the beholder and um yeah, wizardry like really old school stuff <laughs> and uh yeah I, I i used to think that oh you know maybe they were just referencing these old uh, american pc games but then I realize like uh, th- there's a whole era of uh, also Japanese PC games, which which were of course influenced by stuff like Wizardry, that um, for the most part has remained fairly obscure uh, outside of Japan. Uh, yeah, so there there are a lot of like old school. There's a whole world of like PC RPGs and dungeon crawlers that I, I barely know about, and I think the mm-hmm. Shining the, Shining in the Darkness, Shining the Holy Ark is uh, riffing off the off of those too.
3: No, absolutely. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of mention, like, another one very quick. Um, There's this other game called, like, Terra Fantastica. I'm just going to put it in here. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of this, but, like, it's really, really, really cool looking. It's this, Um, I think, was it only, like, a JP-only release or something? I'm not sure, but mm. it's got some of the most interesting pixel art borders in a, in a game that I've seen. Like, I really, I've, I've gotten myself a sort of more into this. Um, Reminds me a lot of... Um, One of my other favourites are Witch Hat Atelier, like a really beautiful manga. I'm sure I have really, really good stuff. But like, in terms of their ability to sort of show off this gorgeous, like ornate, overdone in a sense, like artwork, it's really, really good stuff. And it reminds me a lot of, Mm. again, like looking at antiques and just, you know, sort of like really important ancient bits and pieces of like ornaments and stuff like that it's really really cool stuff and i really enjoy it so if you're inter- interested in cool pixel art and stuff you should definitely check this game out like terra fantastica yeah, it's um a PH. But it's it very very much yeah yeah yeah. It, it, it's very much um reminding me of like a of a fire emblem type game like with the strategy elements in it as well of course but yeah really really cool stuff yeah
0: that looks beautiful Oh, real, real quick, mm-hmm. Um, the, the artist for that is uh, Akihiro Yamada, uh, uh, awesome, awesome illustrator and comic book oh, cool. artist. Yeah, so he did um, cool, cool, cool. a lot of other games like Seventh Saga, uh, Mystic Art. Oh, okay. there, there was a PS1 mermaid RPG with amazing art. And um, he, he did the uh, Lotus Wars manga, Lady of Ferris, which is... Oh
3: my gosh, this makes so much sense yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's my stuff. job, yeah, me, like.
0: yeah, he, he, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, he's a really cool... Um, He's got this cool like Frank Frazetta-esque um, kind of like dark fantasy style. Uh, mm-hmm. He's awesome. He's one of my mm-hmm. favorites. Yeah.
3: Definitely. There's, there's a specific image that I want to try and find, but like it's really just gorgeous the way in which they use like the colors and like they've got some beautiful like drapery going on and like it's really, really well done. I'm going to find it, but go go ahead.
4: So so this actually um, kind of, Makes a nice turn into, um, you know, again talking about like Sega aesthetics, like and wanting to have like that visual pow and represent, like you know, re- representing an arcade feel. And that somehow I've we've all neglected to talk about is like, um, you know, a lot of people, asso- like myself included, associate like say the Dreamcast with like making the arcade experience and get that feeling, you know, at in home at the home, but like. Sega Saturn definitely did that too. You know, obviously the virtual fighter and stuff, but even their titles that were never in the arcade. And mm-hmm. um, so one of them that I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe we, I didn't bring this up. Uh, it was Princess Crown. Um, oh, well,
3: that, I was gonna bring some oh. next. Yeah, yeah, nice one. Like. Uh, oh. yeah.
4: yeah. Go for it, go, for, go yeah. for it. This is
3: like my, this is my jam. Go on. Man. Yeah.
4: And like, so Princess Crown is, you know, obviously like you know a forerunner to the like you know other vanillaware games like you know Odin sphere etc like you know using the hmm. uh pivot point sort of like puppets style animation where you'd get you know more higher res um sprites because you were just you're you know putting them together and you know puppeting them um but when you look at the game, like it has this like incredibly Capcom-ish feel too. But like, like when you look at the the intro to the game, is very much like an arcade screen like attract mode intro. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like it's the it very much feels like oh I'm gonna put my quarters in now. But no, it it was never in the arcade. This is strictly a home experience that has that like big arcadey action feel and. You know it. Those mm. ba- It's you know, and it, it was another game. Like you know, the, I don't, I don't believe this to have been a first party Sega endeavor. I you know, but it was. It definitely <laughs> fell in with like you saw that on the Saturn and nowhere else yeah. until a, a port on the PS like yeah. what Vita or something like PSP. W- PSP way yeah. later. <laughs> <one> of <laughs> yeah, of course. Like of course. <laughs>
2: yeah. Like of course, it's the PSP or the PS Vita. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, it was. That game is so beautiful.
2: Isn't that the the first game of uh, Georges Kamitani? Uh,
0: yeah. Like one, was... one
2: of the first game, like in his name, because I think he, he worked on other games before, right? He, didn't he worked on the the yeah. the, the, the the ah the, the Dungeon and Dragons? And Dragons uh, yep. Yeah, Dungeon and Dragons beat them mm-hmm. up, yeah. yeah. And after that, he made, he made this one.
0: Yeah, yeah, he was at Capcom before, and um, yeah, yeah yeah uh, princess crown was the first I, I think it was the first game he directed and it was um i i forget if they were actually vanillaware but th- that's the first vanillaware game in the same way that nausicaa is the first ghibli movie like technically yeah. it's not a ghibli <laughs> movie but like it is definitely a ghibli movie yeah
3: mm. now, i'm telling you princess crown i just want to just gush a little bit yeah, like yeah. it's um it's one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen, like, in my life to be honest. Like, Just in terms of their ability to craft this almost, like, storybook-like world, and, and give it, like, a sort of, it, in my opinion, it has a kind of, like, a Play-Doh-esque sort of, like, feel to it in the ways in which they've sort of utilized the material making. So, for example, like, they have these beautiful sprites, and then if you look just behind them, they have these sort of, like, almost sort of, like, thick-looking trees and leaves that, that feel like they've got a little bit more volume to them and stuff, and just the diversity, again, of leaf shape, of leaf type, of tree type, of, of grass blade type, and of angle, and all the rest of it. Like, it feels like it's much more full. Than you would consider a regular sort of like 2d landscape or a 2d world to be and i really enjoy that about the series that as well as the fact that the enemies are always very interesting and diverse from. And Again, you've got regular kind of like bandit type dudes to these really cool, strange dragons that they have. That are these hulking, muscular, green figures with with weathered wings and beautiful, beautifully rendered like fur and talons and tails. And you've got these other sort of like tricks, still like goblins and stuff, and like they cause trouble in different ways as well. And like they sort of fly around around you, around your character, and they can do all sorts of things to you it's really really cool but one other thing that i've always sort of loved about this it's the fact that they they represent all of these things in a way that feels almost it's a perfect blend in my opinion of like realism and stylization like they're they're very very good at being able to take like the medium of pixel art and put things through it in a sense kind of like a machine and then still have it be representative of like the object or the item or the, whatever it is that they're trying to showcase but it's it's put through this beautiful style and it's really really good i especially love the fact that you can put different items together and you can get like a piece of egg and and like sorry a piece of toast and get bread so i make it into toast and then you can get yes. eggs and you can put together to make like egg bread like toast and like the way that that looks even it's like it looks delicious. Like the food mm-hmm. in and of itself looks great. All of the characters that you meet within the story are very, very cool. It's bursting with um, with life. It's teeming with this type of again this personification of an adventure of seeing the world through this kind of like young girl's eyes, where you can see the the areas of because you know because she's a princess, but you see the areas of the death and destruction and how sort of like rough things can be. But at the same time, you're also interested in seeing this sort of almost like fairy tale like, lighthearted, funny, kid, kid friendly esque like view of the world as well. It, it it blends these two things so well, and I've always enjoyed that. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Because that was going to be one of the things that I put in next. But I have some other things, so it's fine. But yeah, yeah. This is a really yeah. good pick. Yeah. There's
2: something I wanted to, to ask you, if I'm the only one thinking about this, but you know how the most I would say Sega like obvious recent Sega games unlike the Yakuza series but also some games made by uh, external studios but that have a very very Sega feel and I'm obviously talking about the Platinum games and how Platinum initially was founded by people from Clover Studio, who themselves were from Capcom Uh and I've always thought about how some There was some i don't know link something in common between the 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 cap capcom games and maybe sega games i'm not sure if i'm if i make sense but you know when i when i see a game like i don't know uh bayonetta for example Mm -hmm. and i'm like i'm like that that feels super sega you know (laughs)
1: interestingly enough yeah
2: yeah that but that that also feels like capcom like but I have the feeling that Capcom would not have dared to put this game like this, this character like this out in the world where Sega would have made it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like nah, maybe yeah, m- maybe Capcom is as crazy but mm. as a marketing department that knows better, you know.
3: <laughs> nah, well absolutely, but it's not even it's not even just that though. like they did have a partnership like with Sega like for a period of time. Like yeah, more so to, more so around like the 2000 like eight like uh 2010, uh, 2011, 2012 kind of era during that period of time. But not only just that as well. Like you've got to think and remember like all the different types of games that were coming out around that time. You had things like Anarchy Reigns that was like out there and stuff. Yes, like that yes, 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 like, yes, 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 yes. You know game, what I'm yeah. saying? So, yeah, exactly. But again, Sega publishing. But it's like when 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 we think of these types of games, they have such a specific kind of like platinum taste to them. But they will mm. always be these sega links within that so you're definitely correct there i think it's yeah, really, really that,
2: yeah I, I was also thinking about you know vanquish yep. also mm-hmm. and uh and i was like wow that, that, that world yeah th- those games they could be you know they, they have the the craziness and um Oh my God. I, I'm not sure how to express it, but really, those games i I almost feel like that platinum in the early days because now they are doing you know more diverse games, but even their their last game, which was the um, uh, on the switch, their original IP, I forgot the name, the one where they are you you play cops, cops. again <laughs> we are back yeah. at cops with uh, that are that are chained with uh, I think uh, mythical Astral creatures chain. or something. oh yeah. chained. Yeah, that yeah. feels so boss, Capcom and Sega, you know, yes. in in a sense, and uh, I, <laughs> even the the character design of the characters and things like that, that that feels yep. like something you could find in a Sega game. So yeah, absolutely. But I, I'm I, glad I'm not the only one noticed it that uh, I mean, <laughs> Oh no, oh, no, at no, Thank not you evolved. guys. Yeah,
3: I mean, yeah we're, we're with you on that. We're yeah. trying to get to the
0: Sega aesthetic, right? And it's um. I think what they have in common with Capcom is a focus on the arcade and how that's always been a core part of mm-hmm. their identity. Because like Nintendo is super home console oriented, right? And then um, I think even like you know uh, Konami, Namco, they would have been other rivals. Um, they they started to get more and more console oriented, whereas Capcom and Sega were like the last holdouts for like that arcade experience. That's why I love the Dreamcast so much. So that was the the Dreamcast. Sli- it felt like a Capcom console to me, honestly. Like that was that was my go-to for Dream yeah. and Sega and, and and Capcom games. I don't even I don't no. know if yeah. I even have. Do I have any games not by Capcom or Sega on that system? Yeah, yeah. I, think, but, but, I, think oh, I think the majority. Have I have some Ux games too because they're they're also awesome in arcadey.
2: <laughs> but uh, you 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 know I'm watching like screenshots of Astral Chain, and I'm thinking like, oh my god, that's the cop version of Burning Rangers basically.
1: You know. It really is,
2: though. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, oh, we didn't, didn't connect the dots before. You know? But it really feels like, a, it really reminds me a bit of Burning Rangers, which we haven't talked about, which is basically a, a firefighting firefighter or yeah. fireman, depending of which English country you are, where you have a jetpack. <laughs> that sounds like the most Sega thing, like like when the when Chris was was explaining the, his game before, you know, like when, yeah, you're you're a firefighter, but you have a jetpack and a water gun, and no, when you
0: it's, it's not a water gun, you stop. It's not fire. a water gun. No, 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 no. You stop fires by shooting at them. It's it it, creates, <laughs> it sounds insane, but it's actually based on sound science. Um, the what? idea is that no, no, in real life, what this is a real thing in real <laughs> life. In real life, okay. if you have okay. a fire that's so out of control, right? Water isn't gonna do enough. It's too hot. So what you need to do is destroy it with an even bigger explosion, because that will immediately suck out all of the available oxygen. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. and that's yeah. how it puts the fire. This is a real thing. Like for instance, th- there in the past there have been fires that are so bad that they have to set off like gigantic bombs to like finally put them out. So. I think yeah. someone at Sega, you know, read about this in National Geographic or something and they were like, Oh my god. Oh my god. Like they probably just <laughs> I need <to> brainstormed <laughs> the game and in like in in, in in like, you know, one minute and they just furiously wrote the game you know, the game design down. That that's how I'd like mm-hmm. to imagine it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. It had that crazy energy. It was about shooting mm-hmm. fires with not with water and but sometimes with sometimes in space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No no I but I, the, I remember thinking I was like ah oh, firefighters you know I want to shoot aliens and stuff like what is this and then I was like oh wait this
2: is awesome and then you 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 look at the introduction with the amazing music and you're like okay that's yeah. that that's, that's one all... like that's 1000% sega core you know <laughs> you can do it <laughs> and you that's and the the long version of the intro with the the sol- saxophone solo was also something to hear. I yeah. <laughs> um, yeah,
3: I got I got I got two to mention just real quick, like it's just yeah. two of um, like, last ones for me I suppose. But one of them, just very quickly, just have a look at this. It's this game called the KO Flying Squadron. And mm. it's it's just absolutely that, that was, wild. There's yeah. there's KO Flying Squadron and there's KO Flying Squadron two. And yeah, they are both absolutely just wild, wild games, especially in terms of the pixel art as well like they have some of the most like gorgeous like pixels i've seen like in a minute like they're just so full of like life they're so full of um of diversity of a uh, foliage as well especially in terms of you know like the uh, the colors utilized and stuff and like the ability to make that diversity out of such sort of like some somewhat more limited uh color sets than we'd utilize now but like yeah i really really enjoy this uh this title it's really really cool stuff really really good it was um released in japan and in europe in uh, in 1996 and in 1997 for europe it's basically a really cool platformer scrolling shooter game and it was developed by victor entertainment and then published by uh, victor in japan and then uh, in the in europe it was uh, also published by jvc musical industries as i've seen here but yeah director on it was satoru honda and just, again, came out on the Sega Saturn. It's just really, really cool stuff, and I had no clue that it existed prior to us having to you know, do the research for this. So I found out about it, and it made me super happy. Just seeing again, like, where where did all these little mascot games go? Because like, I kind of want them back now. Like, they look really, like, they look really fun. They're so full of, like, life and energy, and they've got a really nice, just a really nice charm and a really nice feel to them and stuff. Like, the mixture of platforming and side-scroll the shooting is always fun to look at. It's always good to see. And yeah, especially the fact that you get to like collect these little golden rabbits and stuff, that's always cool, always good stuff. But I want to at least like cap this off sort of for me. I wanted to finish this off with another really cool game, which I can't believe we've not really talked about yet, but Skies of Arcadia. This is oh, yes, really yes, yeah, of course, you have to, you have to, so yeah, of course. Guys- of course, you, you got it. You have to do it to him. You have to do it to him. Like, so okay. So, uh, Skies of Yeah, obviously we all know. Well, and well, sorry for those who don't know. The initial release uh, came out in October of the year 2000. But it's a role-playing game developed by uh, Overworks for the Dreamcast, and it's published by Sega. And yeah, players control this guy called Vice, and he is this cool sky pirate with an eye patch, and he has other friends in his sort of like young air pirate crew. And yeah, they basically attempt to stop uh, a big ass villainist empire from reviving old weapons. And you know, they all couldn't. Cond- destroy the world to change the fate of the planet type of a thing so yeah that's basically their their goal but mm-hmm. they have such beautiful beautiful pieces of artwork uh just you know showing the characters on their their adventures and stuff like that but the game in and of itself like it's actually really really nice like looking like in terms of like the 3d models and stuff the lighting in terms of the character designs and the colors just for the time it it was really, really not even just for the time but even like mm-hmm. now like very very expressive character designs were on point even, like, characters, like, facial like uh, like facial expressions and stuff in certain moments, like, they were very, like, evocative of, like, what it is that the characters were realistically, like, going through. Very, very cool. But one of my favorite character designs of all time, obviously, Aika from that story. Big um, old, you know, the Sky Pirate with the whole, like, uh, boomerang and stuff like that. It's, it's very, mm. very cool stuff. And I think that if anyone does get the chance, they should have a look. They should get into trying to play it it's a beautiful game with a really very cliche type of story but it twists in a couple of cool ways and it's got some beautiful sky pirate uh, aesthetics. so very Mm. fun stuff and And also shout out to you know sky islands and sky pirates because that's one of my favorite tropes in anything ever so love it yeah it's good and
2: and also a very again like texture dreamcast sega aesthetics for this game too so yeah if you want to experience it that's the that's the game to to play
0: I yeah. just want to say real quick, one of the lead designers behind Skies of Arcadia is uh, Reiko Kodama, and um, uh, she mm-hmm. she was also one of the key creatives behind uh, the Fantasy Star series, all the way from the very first one. She was the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did, I think ah. she did like most of the sprite art um, and the character design and stuff. She amazing artist. Uh, she's directed um, the games. She directed she d- uh, directly directed Fantasy Star Four and Magic Knight Rayearth mm-hmm. another beautiful beautiful saturn game 2d saturn game um, and then she was producer mm. on several other games uh, including um, skies of arcadia mm.
2: and oh, after that I'm she having... did the... <laughs> what's what's funny is that she did the the brain training game for the nintendo ds
0: oh
3: dang really oh wow
2: yeah apparently oh. i'm not sure it's dr kawashima but she did some I, games I... like that
3: uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's that's really cool i used to see people play those all the time when i had my old so that's yeah. cool mm-hmm yeah Um, i just found a really cool um article though speaking about all the different areas that like architecture and like different references from real life have been taken obviously and used in skies of arcadia's reference and stuff but you'd see so many different cool places for example like european like northern coastal style architecture and then going from that all the way to sort of like more middle eastern architecture and like north african architecture in certain places as well so like it had a lot of really interesting you know like scenery within the game and it really sort of like reached in into this uh, this depth of realistic real world um, again like aesthetic and architecture and the general sort of cultures of many different places and then they sort of again like they mixed them into this global sort of like wider fictional adventure which is something which obviously we see often but like when it's done very well it it, it stands out do you know what I mean like it's a mm-hmm. place in, a, in the palace of like Nasrad it's literally just like the Taj Mahal for example I'm going to post this in right now but like When you think of, like, the Taj Mahal, you think of a very specific look. But, again, it's utilized so many times within games and different areas of media that, like, sometimes you kind of might not notice it, but when it's very apparent, it's right there in front of your face. And, yeah, like, it's very, very respectfully done. It's very tastefully done. And, honestly, it's a... a, it's kind of like a pleasure to be, be able to speak about it again because it's one of those things which you kind of wish would have like again more influence in like the current day and you'd want it to come back and stuff because like there's so much more that could be done with regard to the current levels of you know like technology mm-hmm. and with the current levels of just you know innovation that we've that we've seen over the past 10 20 years with regards to how it is that we produce games and how it is that we produce these aesthetics that we have grown to love so much so yeah it's really really interesting stuff and that is one of my favorite games in terms of just that really cool 3D aesthetic and feel, especially in terms of again character designs—they're so really, really good. Yeah,
2: I agree with you. I like it. Yeah. Mm-mm. That was one of the games, you know, that when the the Dreamcast came out, you—that was really one of the games that made you think, "Oh my god, I need a Dreamcast!" Because you you can basically like drive your flying boat from island to island. You could. That was. Very, very something. Yeah. But I was not prepared for what you just put, which is that both Sega character, Sonic character, and the. Mm-hmm. And the, the oh
3: my god. Yeah, okay, so and Aika reason, from uh, Skills
2: of Gaga have the yeah, same yeah. design. <laughs>
5: yeah, it's a very,
3: they've got very similar stuff. So basically, it's a character called Sticks the Badger from mm. um, a lot of Sonic's like later stuff I believe she's in the TV a TV show too in, mm. well she's interested in Sonic Boom, I believe but yeah like so her the Sticks Badger and the Aika from the Skies of Arcadia they've got very similar design aesthetic so for example the general mm. sort of like triangular shaped hair like the utilisation of a boomerang the orange sort of like brown tones utilised as well the sort of blue accents with regard to like the eyes and then the blue accents in Aika's bows and on a belt and stuff with a wristband very interesting stuff yeah really really cool <sighs> yeah so many rad rad games so many to talk about okay even, oh, I, I got I got, yeah? I got one more sorry i got one more okay well, okay we need to talk about this i don't feel how or not we didn't even talk about, I'm sure oh, we didn't even talk about last, last time, i'm not sure but power stone duh i'm not sure how we didn't speak about this or if we did or not and again
2: it's a capcom really. game on a sega console yeah and it yeah. feels like yeah but i don't know for you but i feel it it feels more capcom than sega to me maybe that's just me but uh, but it's also something that encompasses so well the the promise of the the Dreamcast, you
4: know, mm.
3: yep.
2: of the craziness and the arcade like of the game.
3: I think Power Stone Two, Power Stone
4: mm. Two definitely feel feels like hits into that Sega aesthetic a bit, more, mm-hmm. leans into it a bit more. I don't yeah. know if that's because was Power Stone was was that ever in arcades? It was.
2: Uh... Uh... Yeah, uh, it was one. i think
4: it was yeah, yeah. it was it arcade. was two was though i feel like two. i don't, think, I
1: don't two was. think two was i don't think two
4: yeah. was i think yeah. that okay. might have been the difference was working was you know strictly <laughs> working in with that tech and like yeah i love the, those submarines that's what i that stuff's what i remember from two like yeah. the most like
3: yeah <laughs> yeah i i have um the, the psp collection and like that was my introduction to, to Power Stone because like mm. I think I, I said it a long a, well, a long while ago but like a few years ago like I'd never got to grow up like playing those games but I'd heard of them for like you know a large portion of my life and I'd always wanted to so I tracked down an, uh a, a copy off off the internet and I bought it and I was like okay cool I got this on the PSP now and I played it and it was so much fun like it felt like. I felt nostalgic for it even though I didn't grow up with it if that makes sense it was just really really cool <laughs> just seeing all yeah. of these things sort of, like come to life and again like they take the fictional the, sorry they take the non-fictional elements of you know the real world and then they place them into like you know these fictional environments for example like you have this place called like Lundo and stuff oh. like that and like yeah, all these different nice? places that you go to to fight in these little these, these little sort of like cubic environments like i absolutely like love those just the fact that like they were able to make these Battle arenas out of this sort of like cube shape, and then obviously within Diorama. that you place all these cool, yeah, exactly these these cool um these these cool battle mechanics and stuff like picking up items, using them as weapons, throwing them at each other, uh getting obviously the little gems that you need, and then you do, doing those um those transformations and stuff. Like one of my absolute favorites was um what what was that what was like I think it was like Ryuma I think his name was I think
5: um yeah no, Reyma Ryuma, Ryuma, right. Ryuma,
3: that was it he. Yeah, his transformation is literally one of the coolest things like it's I've so ever cool. seen. He becomes yeah. this like beetle-like samurai, made of like steel, and like he's got this cool-ass sword, and all of his moves to, just like they become like these beautifully animated like samurai attacks. Really, really, really cool stuff. I've I've always had a had a huge soft spot for for that. Just the fact that he could do that all. One of my favorite characters throughout the whole um throughout that whole series for sure.
5: Mm,
3: mm, mm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
2: Chris, I'm I'm sure sure you have a, a, another game that you've been keeping in your pocket.
4: You yeah, go for it, go for it. I'm sure. Oh, man, so so it's more of like that. So when you were so everyone's in touch touching upon like other companies that have been sort of carrying on the Sega aesthetic, like you know Platinum. When you look at their games because it has that more arcadey feel and that that emphasis on clarity like it tends to feel uh more like a sega game and it sort of makes me think that like it wasn't just that this is like a it wasn't that sega simply had a certain aesthetic but that they filled a certain role in mm. like the game industry as like a whole like uh like some years back, I, I were talking about it, but like it always sort of felt like Sega was like the test kitchen for the entire games industry. Yeah. Like they would do <laughs> something, it would do something like wacky and totally bizarre, and then like some other you know, like Nintendo, will do it three years later to immense success after learning from all of Sega's mistakes, their like their missteps, and that like now mm-hmm. that Sega's not really doing like first party stuff that whole that that role has to be filled by other like studios and there aren't really that many that have been able to like step up to that sort of um you know level i mean we haven't talked about semen at all no. yeah um <laughs> yeah is, yeah i was i was it, waiting
2: uh, i was waiting for you for, for oh, it it's, um, cool. yeah.
4: <laughs> it's just this thing where like as far as like even a con you know a concept and everything like it's just so bizarre and you couldn't think of anyone else coming up with it except for Sega (laughs) like it's just this you know and it and I I feel like you know you know as an indie developer like in a way I'm trying to kind of capture or like carry on at least to some degree with the idea of like rethinking things and Doing something in a new way that the way you know the, the way Sega did and like in part of doing that I think I sort of um it I'm very influenced by their aesthetics like you know not only just visually but like the way that maybe that philosophy influences those choices mm-hmm.
0: yeah absolutely yeah but,
4: like yeah there's yeah there's just a lot um like I, and like if I were to think of like one other thing that I would want to like that has like a, a, a game that more people probably know than I'm going to give credit for, but there's this game, Sonic shuffle, um, <laughs> which was a party, <laughs> but there's, it's, so it's, this, it's this party game that was on the Dreamcast. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it, it was one of the, one of the earlier, like cell mm-hmm. shading games yeah. too. Yeah. Um, That's, so yeah. they did that in there and, uh, design and like the music was so cool in that game like it's like the game is very trippy and very ethereal dreamlike and it's like it it definitely um it's on a lot of the weirder side of like sega's like i guess tendencies or like the <laughs> way that like things to be produced um yeah there's it's it's pretty it's it's essentially like like a mario party game uh Mm -hmm. where you do these like little mini games but like a lot of them like it just like a lot of them just feel like just there'll be these little interludes where someone will like meet someone in a desert and then they'll like steal all their rings but like it's framed in this Mm -hmm. bizarre like half awake (laughs) state um and it's actually it's actually it is a genuinely really fun game but like it also has RPG like sort of like turn-based battle mechanics fill, fit in there too. <laughs>
5: hmm.
4: So you like you'll encounter monsters on the board and you'll have to beat them hmm. with um, like it was like a dice roll or something or like you had to like have the higher card and stuff and like the monster designs were all very kind of Japanese or like pop or like underground pop art influence like the there's this like one yeti with a surfboard that i always remembered running into (laughs) but yeah it's it's really it 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 has that sort of wackier sega stuff and yes i see um yeah uh sharing knights in the uh chat here
5: Mm. uh
4: but yeah it it definitely landed on that knights feeling too um with that whole dream like like whoa (laughs) 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 but yeah that's that's another one that I think, even if you just like watch a long play of it, it's it, it's still an experience.
1: We're like, this is a Sonic game. That's really weird. Yeah, one of the things that's actually kind of interesting about this game is that the lead game designer is uh, Hidenori Oikawa. And they were actually an advisor on Super Bonk, which I think was like the fourth Cave, like the fourth in the series of like the bonk adventures games and those games are super bizarre and crazy so it it kind of makes sense that like sonic shuffle is kind of like this weird sort of like trippy uh game in its own way because it's like yeah you have to remind yourself like this is a sonic game like like what like you know
0: i I think games have historically done like really absurd humor like really well like like if you, you know, people think, oh, you know, internet humor, right? Like uh, th- that stuff ha- uh, was preceded by really, really bizarre video game humor. You
5: know? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even even in uh, in the communication, <laughs> you I think we all remember the famous ads with um, in Japan with uh, Segata Sanchiro. The, oh, of course which yeah, which, which <laughs> all time. yeah yeah <laughs> the, that was that was super crazy when you think about it like yeah we're going to have a a, a judoka that's beating kids in the streets yeah. because they don't play Sega games and you're like what <laughs> what <laughs> what's going on and after that awesome. when they when they finished you know the um, the Saturn Hera like the, the the ad to announce the Dreamcast was basically Okay, so there's the giant missi- missile coming at the uh, Sega HQ and Segata Senshiro is jumping from the roof to divert the, the missile into space. And so he dies this way and uh, he leaves his place for the Dreamcast. And you're like, what What kind of communication is that? <laughs> what's yeah. going on? But this weird humor, you know, second, yeah. s- second to third degree was something that was very uncommon at the time. It, Even if some ads were very special, were were very, I would say, um, I would say like edgy in some ways. There were some, most of the time, I think they were a little bit cringy. Like, you know, there were sometimes like... ads with bimbos or very you know uh boys club like references or things like that yeah. and yeah. Uh, it it was very very when you look back at them right now you're like okay we we couldn't do something like that because it's you know it's it's from just I'm a sure value know, pre- yeah it's yeah. super immature but the whole you know uh the the whole thing with uh segada sanshiro and the whole communication and even some games, because if you remember correctly, they even made a game that was called Sega Gaga, yeah. which was <laughs> basically you, you... I think you played like an employee of a, a, um, a game company like Se- no, that you were Sega. That was basically Sega. You were literally yeah, you,
5: Sega. Yeah.
2: yeah. And so that, that was an RPG, if I remember correctly, something like that. Yeah. I, I never played it, so I'm not sure. But I, I remember seeing it and I was like, oh, my God, those guys, they are making a game about themselves. Like, (laughs) what's going
0: on? (laughs) It was a game documenting the last days of Sega as a hardware developer. Essentially, like, Sega going through their biggest crisis, you know, as PlayStation was, like, uh, starting to crush them with with their their lies, their ad campaigns full of Mm. lies about the PS2. But, I mean, Mm. Sega was just wild. Like, the amount of freedom that they gave their developers. Mm -hmm. That was a bizarre game, and that was a first-party title. Um, and they, they bankrolled it because the guy was just really passionate about it. They, I think he said the first time he pitched the game, they were like, "That's hilarious! Thank you for lightening the mood of our business meeting." And like they thought it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But then he followed <laughs> up, he followed him up <laughs> and they were like, "Wait, like this is real?" And like they let him do it because he's like, "Look, I promise you, I can finish this. I'll do most of the work myself." You know, he didn't need much money, and he just worked in a corner for years on this bizarre game, uh, a bi- you know, like a fictional biography of Sega. Just absolutely mm. strange. And then we're talking about viral marketing, right? Uh, there were <laughs> just weird, prescient marketing. He, um, he had so little money left over for marketing at the end, this dude. And uh, ke- keep in mind, this is before the social media, before YouTube, before the idea of viral marketing. He was like, okay. I, I basically have like $200 left. <laughs> so what he did was he commissioned a wrestling mask, like a, like a luchador, like like masked wrestler thing. He's like this is the yeah. best use of my he, he he created a persona where he he would go out wearing a mask to promote Sega. say Sega, Sega, Gaga.
3: Like, wow.
0: <laughs> like literally because the, of the <laughs> Literally, the game designer who slaved away on this game for years would go out in the street and be like, "Hey, people, please buy my game." <laughs> That's how you did it. He just hit the streets of Tokyo and like went to different shops, wearing his mask.
2: Yeah, there's a, an awesome two-part documentary about the last, uh, the last moments of uh, of Sega and the Dreamcast, particularly on the um, Archipel yeah. uh, channel. The with all those people that created. Things like Sega, Gaga, or, or Seaman and it's <laughs> that uh, that's very, very impressive video and impressive people because to do all the things they did at the time, that's uh, you've got to have some. You, you have to not care or care a lot, or maybe both at the same time. I'm not sure, but that I think was it's something. Both
3: at the same time, yeah. I think uh, just to be able to even pitch those ideas like seriously and and unironically, and then even again like just earnestly like following through because you mm. love the idea so much like not even like just just for the bit or just for the joke like actually doing it because you love it there is mm. something about that which is really really cool like to see and stuff it's very very yeah. nice
2: i love yeah, this kind of not don't yeah. love
3: stuff now but yeah not to say not to say that people don't love what they're working on now because like some people do and that's mm. absolutely like, cool that's absolutely evident in a lot of people's work especially within a lot of like indie scenes currently and stuff naturally yeah. people really I... care about the projects but yeah it's just a I... different kind of thing
2: I was thinking, about, you know, at games that started as a joke, but that could have come out on the Dreamcast, uh, a game like uh, Untitled Goose Game, for example. Yeah, that was oh, that's gosh, a game yes. I, yeah. that's that's a game I could see like coming out yeah. from Sega in the Dreamcast yeah, in early two thousand. Like, yeah, and I would oh, have you, not
1: have needed to buy that either. Like, it would have been an instant purchase.
2: Yeah, and or may, maybe the goose will have, I don't know, superpowers instead of just you know dragging <laughs> things, but. That's typically yeah. the the kind of mood that some of the Sega games had. And that's super fun.
3: Well, it's just honk honk all the time.
2: Yeah, honk honk <laughs> yeah. all the time. <laughs> Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Okay,
2: Chris, you I'm sure you have another game, please.
3: <laughs> well,
4: well, I, I kind of just want to expand on the point that you guys just brought up about like the either it's a combination of caring and not caring, which is something that I think with the amount of developers in this um, conversation, like I think that's got to speak to everybody. Like I know that with ideas that um, we come up with, like there's just like, it's it's hard. Like it's like, you'll come up with something that's like, this is such a cool idea and it's like never been done before. And then you're sitting there, you're like, no one's gonna buy this though. (laughs) Like no one's gonna want this. And then you have to like really push yourself. It's like, but it, it should exist. Like this needs to exist, and that's kind of like part of you know, that's 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 part of what makes you know Sega stuff like harder to emulate. And then you get games that feel like Sega could have made them, and like yeah, like Untitled Goose Game, and but just this like this like it, especially in like you know in, in like because like right now you know you know Sega, Sega was a test kitchen for. What, for as far as as long as they were like you know first party developing stuff but then and you know, we that responsibility sort of slides back to like indie developers now hmm. but it's so hard to make a choice now to be like all right so i'm going to you know sacrifice this many years of my life and i don't know if it's going to actually pay off for me to do so hmm. um but like here's this idea and it's not based on a pre-existing IP and it's doing something different so i don't know how it's going to be received <laughs>
5: you
4: know it's really hard to just be like yeah yeah i'm totally going to do that and i'm going to do that with a high level of craft because that's the other thing is that like part of what made the sega games that were weird so cool is that like they didn't just be like here's a weird concept with a whole bunch of developer art like it's like we're gonna execute this we're gonna do it well here's this weird thing and we're gonna like try to knock it out of the park because we want you to understand like we want you to buy into our concept we need we know we need to get you in there so we're gonna do a good job with these visuals we're gonna really make like try to get the hit the game feel right get everything right so you can enjoy our weird thing and give it an actual chance mm-hmm. whereas you know even if it's not like financially responsible to do so, <laughs> it's
3: um, probably call them labors of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, that's what you need for sure.
0: That's what um. Yeah. I, that's why I I felt so sad after seeing uh Sega drop out of the console market and then just how much things changed after that. Um, I think with the death of the Dreamcast, you 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 switched over to um having a more research, a focus group tested, um, you know, a, approach to making games, right? Where where it's like, okay, yeah. well, step one, like, is there a market? You know, step two, like, uh, what's the budget? It, it, it's all very logical. And, you know, I know, like, obviously, you need to make money. Um, so, yeah, speaking as, you know, a, someone who, who runs a game studio, yeah, like, you have to consider that stuff. But as a consumer, you should not, you, you should not care about that stuff. I, it, it, I'm so weirded out when I see, like, uh, 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 fans and consumers just be like, oh, this game sold so well, or, you know, like, oh, it makes sense, this or that, like, uh, you know. Like, dude, do you just, don't you just want to play, like, a good game? And, like, don't you want to play, <laughs> like, a really bizarre and weird game, <laughs> like, <laughs> once in a while? Like, don't you just want to play stuff that, like, isn't so, you know, just manufactured, like, Th- that's what's special about these old games is like the you didn't have this super sophisticated um uh you know like just it, it wasn't standard to to do all that it, it was just like hey let's just tr- make some cool games and let's hope that they sell and i i know that sounds so naive now but that's also like that's why they're awesome <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah
1: and that's and, yeah, part yeah, of it yeah That's part of uh, why we love some of the games that we love so much too, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that we grew up with, it was just like, it even, I mean, other media in general follow this too. It's like a lot of the stuff that people were just sitting around together and didn't necessarily know what they were doing, but they were attempting to make something new and different, you know, it ended up becoming like a golden age, of uh things i mean anime went through that and you know a lot of the games that we played growing up i mean you know it's like these people weren't sitting down with a focus group and saying okay these these numbers make sense so let's make this game it was just you know hey let's make this thing uh let's see where it goes and it ended up attracting so many people and inspiring so many of us so you know it would be nice to see more of a, a return to that
0: I mean, that, that's, I, I that's, what, agree. that's what indie games are for, I think. Um, yeah. I, I just did another mm-hmm. podcast a while ago with my, my friend Jorg, and um, he he was he was uh, he's a movie producer and game producer, and uh, he wrote for uh, various magazines during the Dreamcast era. And, yeah, you know, he, he felt like Sega set the standard that indies follow today, right? Where, where they really, uh, the, the bizarre thing is they were a first-party you know hardware developer and publisher but they were like hey we'll give you some money just make something cool <laughs> they gave like so mm. much freedom incredible mm-hmm. s- amounts of freedom to their 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 developers
5: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
0: that's what it's about you got to you know like these games take they they suck the life out of <laughs> you making them right you got to <laughs> make it worth it
3: yeah. <laughs> no definitely
0: You have to really care about it otherwise it's like you're just doing it for a paycheck there's much better easier ways to make money like
5: Mm
4: -hmm.
0: if you're making games you you got to believe in it
4: i feel like i feel like you know golden age sega is a thing that just can't exist with like gdc (laughs) like it's it's fundamentally or fundamentally like incompatible like like okay well we're going to just gather all these player metrics and we are just going to cynically create most like popular popularity potential from art from the game design standpoint like it's like one of those like disheartening things about like gdc talks for me is like i can't watch them because like they honestly disgust me (laughs) like it's just this it just sucks the soul out of well like not the art ones like when they talk about here's how we did something okay those are cool but they're like how to make your game sell and like it, it always has this like i don't know like i get it like i, I want to make so money mean, from yeah. games but like yeah. there's I can't, so I can't many of disagree, them that just kill like, me.
3: it kind of depends <laughs> it can't it, to me it's like okay I, I was having a part of this conversation with my friends recently actually with a couple of other people too but like i just sort of wrote this in earlier but like in terms of what we consider to be classic games like now that all could have been so different if some games only just came out just a little bit before or just a little bit later for example one of these in terms of um super mario 2 for example like that originally was supposed to be super mario 2 like the lost levels and stuff the reason why that version of it wasn't like the only version of a super mario 2 that we got because again it got sent to somebody in the u.s they played it and was like hey this was this is just too hard you have to like take it back and do something else and then obviously after that the whole situation with regards to the doki doki panic game that ended up becoming Mm. sort of like more fused with uh, the mario that the mario that we know and then that sort of became sort of more of a super mario 2 in, in essence of it being like a proper sort of sequel quote unquote but it's like again that happening in and of itself it kind of like shows the fact that like we don't always get a say in what it is that we that we would do, that we would consider to be like industry defining or genre defining all the rest of it like sometimes it's just happenstance and like and chance and stuff so for example i think about this often with regards to games like street fighter or even games like pokemon and stuff and the similarities that we see with so many other games like street fighter in and of itself like what it is that we know now In terms of the ways in which like the combos were created first the fact that again like we know that we have these very basic you know like character designs in ryu and ken that grew into so much more over time and stuff like that idea that wasn't the only version like of that idea obviously but it's Mm -hmm. like it grows off and it becomes something else like i feel as though with regard to the with, with with regard to sega and that and that era of time that 90s early 2000s era of time we're seeing like a resurgence of that over the past like decade now in terms of you know the boom of indie games and all the rest of it but it's like i think that having that be in a corporate form was something that sort of allowed for that to boom in a a different way and i feel like if we hold on to that too much it can kind of cloud what it is that we're seeing at the moment if that makes sense because it's, like, it doesn't have to be the only way that we can enjoy, like, what it is that people are doing, like, at the moment and stuff. It doesn't always have to be with regard to the the ideals of what it is that we thought was so cool in the past. Because, honestly, oh, yeah. like, it, it's all, like, super, super close. It's like I said before, like, a lot of the classics that we consider to be classics now, they very nearly weren't. Like, all it takes, really, is just, like, a couple of scheduled dates being missed, some work not being finished, some date changes, some... Do you know, do you know how... You know, we know how making games is. Like, they're made to get, They're glued together with, like, wishes and duct tape and gum. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, they're not always going to be 100% perfect upon release. So all it takes is just a few problems here and there. And whole franchises don't even exist anymore. For example, again, like, with regards to Pokemon Gold and Silver as well, without, like, Satori Wata, like, rest in peace, putting so much work in... And being able to put in a whole other region into the game and stuff like that, that game doesn't exist as that game anymore. Do you know what I mean? And that mm. in and of itself might not have been able to help. Obviously, the franchise would still have blown up, and it was already blown up. But would it have blown up in the exact same way? Do you know what I mean? Like there are all of these different things which we've got to think about, sort of like when looking back as well. So I think it's just always important to make sure that we can have our nostalgia and like and covet it and you know like enjoy it, but also like analyze it too, because like just in terms of like what it is that you said like then with regard to like then it it, for me it's like it's the the knowledge being spread is more important than like than than the fact that it comes in such like a in in such a a displeasing package if that makes sense so for example like gdc is extremely expensive for a lot of people and like that is really unfortunate and stuff but in terms of like the game design information that is shared like there it can be really helpful for people too so yeah i don't think Mm -hmm. you're saying that it's not helpful but like yeah i think yeah Yeah, no I... I, i i get
4: what you mean yeah we talk about like design like how to reach your design goal that's yeah. cool but when it's like it's the other it's the other part where like what should you be designing that's the part that's yeah
3: yeah that's
4: the part that like makes me want to burn it all to the ground <laughs> yeah it's, uh, interesting yeah, world, it's
3: like oh, oh go on go
4: on oh yeah no i mean that was really because yeah like yeah, there's a lot of value, like, you know, there's stuff that is, you know, value is provided for creatives, but it's, it's, it's when they try to, like, teach you what, what you should feel like you're allowed to make, or, like, mm. those, ki- that's the type of, those are the reaches, and those are the, mm. that's the kind of, like, because, you know, the, as, as more money gets into things, and more, you know, more people will want to make money, obviously, like, oh. Mm-hmm. They're teaching more of, like, how to read metrics and let those metrics guide the game you make. That's mm. the kind of thing that's, like, gross.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: and, like, I think that, like, and I'm not in the, and I'm saying, yeah, like, I'm agreeing with you in the like that like, the availability of that, like, that information not being available helped um, Sega be, like, you know, helped them be the crazy test kitchen. But that like if they were to if you know none of that stuff happened back in the 90s and let's say like they were like oh they're coming about now and they were given those same tool sets i d- i kind of don't think that a lot of the same choices would have been made and we would have missed out on a lot of unique stuff because they absolutely been, like, they would have had access to, to that money yeah yeah so it's yeah. like they were it, they didn't have the same fidelity of, like, market information and so they were like, let's trust the artists. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, burst, you know, and that was, like, that allowed a lot of cool things to happen, but there's just a lot of emphasis on, like, metrics and all that mm-hmm. stuff that, like,
3: no, for sure. I get
4: it from a business perspective, but it's also just, like, absolutely detrimental from, in like, an art standpoint or, like, artistic merit or, like, the idea of Like, like, oh, let what's allowed to be made will just, you know, it slowly homogenizes, you know. Once, you know, Resident Evil 4 comes out and then for the next six years, you know how every single third person uh, game controls, right? Like, you don't even have, like, you can point to a random one on the shelf. It's because, like, you know, well, why, like, we, you know, we make things familiar. We got to reproduce what worked. And that, it's you know it's a smart thing to do technically but it's also not great for the you know the overall environment of games because you know sega's golden age existed in a time where since not everything had become standardized and not a whole bunch of stuff was like codified or like yeah. dogmatic it was just like well you know players also had different expectations they they were like i'm gonna pick up a game I'm actually not going to know how to play it at first and that's okay. That's not a bad game. That's, I have to literally learn this game now. Like, so I'm going to learn the game that I'm going to play. It's, you know, similar to how you open up like a board game. Now there's that same like willingness to learn because, you know, there weren't these you know standardized sets of things and that even, you know, that bleeds out to like the concepts of what, you, what kind of games can you even make? Because like, well, everything's allowed to be new because I don't have to worry about like, well, what if this isn't intuitive enough? What if I, when they pick it up mm. in the first three seconds, they don't understand what they're supposed to do, which is like a metric now mm. <laughs> where like people, like you know, a lot of design talks are like, yeah, if your game doesn't like get them in like those first two seconds, they're just going to walk right away. And you're like, okay, mm. <laughs> should we really mm, I'm, be I'm, letting ooh. that? Guide everything. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> I, that's only, yeah,
0: I think you're seeing a shift away from that because a lot of that is rooted in uh, mobile games, where yeah, yeah, suddenly, uh, that, yeah. that's what. That, yeah, uh, okay.
2: Yeah. That, that that's what that's what I wanted to say because I think in mobile games it's something we see a lot, like like a lot. Even if you don't know about it, you can you can feel it. Like for, I'm not even, I'm not sure I want to you know, start this debate. But you take a game like Grand Blue Fantasy, for example, which is a very gorgeous game when you think about it. It has a lot of good art, a lot of good music. Uh, it's a gacha game, but with a, with a big story and things like that. So nothing, the story isn't great, great, but, you know, that's, but it works, you know. And and I remember seeing a conversation about a, a female artist answering, like, why why are, are all mobile games, like, like Ground Blue, for example, so, you know, so, with, uh, so sexy, sexualized uh, female characters or even male characters and things like that. And she was like, you know, I worked on a, on a game and uh, I was asked to make uh, female characters. I make the female characters. And once it was done, the producer came in and said, OK, that's not sexy. I want, uh, I want you to, uh, like, uh, remove 10 years of age and uh, add boobs. Basically, because you know, in the metrics, of course, it's going to sell well, better. You know, like for example, I don't know, it was, a, I have a few friends who play Ground Blue Fantasy, so sometimes they're going to post something about it. And and I follow Ground Blue Fantasy because of the Ground Blue Fantasy versus game. And of course, there's going to be like a Christmas, you know, outfits and things like that. And you're like, wow, that's that's so obvious and so gross at the same time but <laughs> if they do it it must be working so much you know. Yeah. You can't you can't have you, you you can't always have happy accident like ades for example where everyone is hot and sexy and yes it was uh, on purpose you know but it wasn't it's not as obvious or as gross you know so but i think some and i think we still have a lot of room for you know experiment with things because like 3 days ago i pre-ordered a, a playdate you know the the console but the the yeah. the, the, the the producers uh, the distributor or the editor i don't know of uh, untitled goose game and firewatch and those guys they're like we want to make a, a new game console and you're like yeah okay and it has a crank and a black and white screen like the first Game Boy, and like, why, you know, why would you do that? So that, that, that's not. If you, and I, I, am betting that if they add, if the console was not like pure yellow and blue, we would be like, oh, that's such a Sega thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right now it feels different, but when you look at the games they are putting on this console. It feels like very experimental, and you are 100% sure that, of course, they did some, I think, marketing studies or things like that. But you're not going to launch a console just for, just because it makes money. You know, you're going to do it because it's fun, and you have and you have to embark a lot of game developers to do things that won't work on other consoles and things. Like that. So that's a. Uh, I feel there's still room for, you know, experiments and there's there's a lot of games that come out. I have a, a friend that made a game recently that's called Zadet. I don't know if you've seen it. And the the premise of the game is absurd. You play like a, it's like a it's a side scroller adventure, but the character like they, they they said okay, the in the in the past the best game where the games where the the sprites were the biggest so they made a game where the character is full screen and but it's so big that he can jump like only for 20 centimeters high because (laughs) if you don't do that it goes out of screen and the game is super hard and it's super stupid and i know for sure they didn't sold a lot because you know that's super that's a joke game, basically, a very, like, I want to be the guy type of game, yeah. except that some... But Zadet, the warrior, is so big and he has two an- two steps of animation. But, you know, you, we we still can't have these kind of things uh, happening right now. And I'm super glad. I think video games, basically, like you said, like Sega were the blueprint for experimenting for the world industry. And I like that the... Um, the idea that now, like a lot of the indie games, they have a kind of Sega-like attitude and will try a lot of things, Some sometimes fail and won't even sell. But it will, after that, work better when someone with a bigger budget is going to take it. And uh, we can see that even if it's not, you know, uh, such a small game because it was a, a Sony game. But just look at how Demon Souls and after that Dark Souls had an influence on the um, on the game industry in the last 10 years you know you look at this in like that. what that they were basically i won't say confidential games but they were games that were were supposed to sell maybe like 1 million 2 million max and they sold so much and invented a, a whole new type of game and, and game design so i suppose yeah. that there's still room right now to
4: to oh, do yeah. this you know yeah, I, I didn't want to give the impression that I was saying like oh like no, everything's no. dead and creativity died. No, <laughs> like, but you're still right. Tons. Yeah,
2: you're, you're still... right on something. You're right on something. That creativity is super dead in AAA games, basically. What what was when is the last time that you played a AAA game and you say and you thought to yourself, oh that was risky. You know. Uh, yeah, sure, but, I'm not but sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it but like yeah, the, in the indie. Time. Yeah,
4: yeah they, like the like the the like um. you're know, like you saying earlier like I like I'm not trying to let like nostalgia like mm-hmm. totally you know for this and it's like blind me to the fact like yeah there's there's so much experimentation happening in mm-hmm. the indie sphere and it's like the only like the only reason why I sort of lament the way that I do for Sega sort of being out of like that business is just that Sega was so highly visible so like yes. you can have like you can have thousands hundreds of thousands of indie games experimenting and doing cool new things but like if only five of them get noticed like it doesn't have the same kind of like mm. there, like you have to know where to look with indie yeah. games whereas with like Sega like they have so much bigger of a platform that,
3: I that before, you know, a yeah. whole
4: bunch of people saw a bunch of weird stuff and that was that helped reach these indie developers who are gonna do the experimental stuff like 20 years down the line um, so that's really like I'm not trying like, mm-hmm. like and it's and that's why you know I, I it sounds like I am disagreeing with people but I am actually not like yeah no you're right the,
2: the way i think I, I about it what you mean. yeah, yeah the, the way I think about it and I'm I'm super glad that it happens that we have indie games that are Premium, premium indie games. Like I was talking about 80s like uh, before. You, you, it's an indie game, you know, but it's a an indie, an indie uh, premium indie game made by a studio of, I think there are like something like 20 people. And I love this kind of production because they basically have the, the same number Whoa. of people as in the 90s and maybe the, the, the 2000s. And they produce games we know, you know, with a scale that is human scale, both in the making and in the playing. Because I can't play an Assassin's Creed game right now, you know, I, I, I just can't. I don't have the time, the patience, the things like that. that. That's not possible to me. But 80s, God, that was that was my game of 2020. That was the game I needed in middle of the pandemic, you know. That was something that was really needed and it only came, you know, a game with compassion and people, you know, learning of taking care of each other and finding each other and things like that. And you were like, whoa, that's not something that can come out of a very, you know, (sighs) marketing oriented AAA game or mobile game. That's something that can come out of, um, of an indie game. Even if it's a premium indie game, it's still an indie game. So I'm glad that some of those games, is, I know that you said that only five of them maybe have the spotlight, but at least we have five of them yeah. <laughs> having yeah. a, a big success. So I'm I'm super glad when these kind of things happen, basically. And I that, that they, those games, they are my favorite right now the games that take some risk that i haven't played before but that that are not you know just uh and i'm i know aj is going to, to to kill me for saying that but like just uh you know retro pixel art or just pixel art because video games are you know small video games are pixel art you know that's not that not, that's not something i want i don't want like you said i don't want to to feel to play a retro game i want to play like a sega game like something innovative and something that i haven't seen before you know and that's uh, but that takes skill and a lot of money basically because uh, you know putting a game like idis it it costs a lot of money like there's there are a team in uh, i think in California which is basically the the most expensive place on earth where you can live and uh, yeah, the giant games yeah and super giant yeah and, the yeah, and they, they... i think they worked on the game before the early access something like 2 years and after that mm-hmm. they they spent something like 1 year and a half in early access so <sighs> t- 3 to 4 years four, to four make times. such yeah. a games yeah that that's so massive when you think about it, but that was worth the thing. So I hope other studios, you know, can expand like this one to, to bring us this type of production value that Sega games add and craziness and inventivity that they have to.
3: No, absolutely. Now I get what you mean. I'm not gonna, but I'm not gonna kill you for saying anything you want. That's all you. <laughs> that's, that's all you. You can say whatever. But um, you, you said yeah, what like, you said, and it's it's my yeah, fault yeah, now if i <laughs> You said you said this all on you. Listen, um, Hades just <laughs> in and of itself. It's it's really really good actually that you mentioned that because I mean Super launched it in such an interesting way. I mean like there's a really cool uh, no clip uh, video game documentary yeah. out there and mm-hmm. i think a lot of people should check that out um a lot of people over there uh amazing in terms of what it is they do they should deserve a lot of support but
5: mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm.
3: like hades coming out in the way that it did it was really really cool to see but not only just that again like artistically it had one of the most interesting styles that i've seen in in quite a while but mm-hmm. overall though i mean like super giant they've been consistent in that like yeah from Pyre to Transistor even Bastion prior to all of that stuff like they've they've always been really really good at making these lush imaginative worlds and having players just become like immersed in these places from again from that sort of almost well not even just almost but that that very fantasy feel in Bastion to sort of more traditional sci-fi theme in Transistor then going off into another sort of like more mystical supernatural almost theme in Pyre to again going into now much more sort of mystical but more rooted and grounded in greek mythology and the underworld of that like mm-hmm. they've, they've had very specific like art directions within these and not only just art directions but like general sort of like creative directions that would take yeah. the game to a specific area that could make it relatable to people and then they would play with that in and of itself so like, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like anything else that was out. It felt like things that were similar, but then at the same time, it had its own set of like very specific, unique ingredients to with regard to that. So, I mean, like uh, it's a really good thing that you mentioned that studio. But the point that I wanted to make was kind of, well, it was that. It's the fact that there is a lot of creativity that does exist at the moment, but it's just the ability to get it out there and also to have it stand out. Think, yeah. honestly like we're going through something right now well i think we're going through something right now it's like we're going through a, another saturation period and when, when we're going to go through like an even larger one again with regards mm-hmm. to you know ue5 coming out and all the rest of it but like it's really interesting just seeing how often so many people are making so many games just so many things coming out all of the time every single day like there's so many different things to check out and so little time to play them all in and for example we all have the meme of the steam library being larger than any library that you actually have <laughs> like it's all it, it's all like a realistic thing but the, the main mm. thing within this anyway is like i want to make sure at least like that it's said i'm really glad that, that we got to talk about these sega games because like we got to find out about so many cool and interesting things from the past and mm. it's really it's been really interesting one of my favorite artists simon anderson he's at snake pixel on twitter he said often that um he likes to go back and play game boy games and game boy color games and stuff like that to go and get ideas and to go and find new things that he's interested in, find different, you know, like, versions of concepts and things which have been, you know, portrayed in different ways through time and stuff like that, and just study them and learn from them. And we do and see a lot of that even now. Again, with regards to what you're saying with, uh, you know, sort of like the smaller but sort of mid-sized kind of a studio in terms of not being like a massive conglomerate but also not mm-hmm. being just one person, like, we typically would call that, like, sort of the in-between space within there, like a double-A, like, studio. Yeah. So, for example, like a studio that's typically quite, like, uh, it's an indie studio that's like that's backed by like a larger like publisher that in turn provides like uh, the studio with like a, a, a mm-hmm. sizable budget and stuff so it's not just like one person's you know like thing with x y z amount of money even though one person could raise quite a large budget that's a whole other thing but yeah that's kind of what we call those just double a just in terms of that mm-hmm. but yeah what i'm saying is just the fact that like we get so many people now and they're being inspired by things from the past and like they're making them like today now so for example i just put in a link earlier but like there's still people out there making new games for like all the prior consoles so it's really cool Mm. so everything again just from the nes to like all the pc games to again like all the all all the older sega genesis and mega drive and stuff like that people are still making stuff now like that game i put in um again, that uh, Paprium game, that 16-bit brawler and stuff like that, set in a post-apocalyptic world, like, all these different things that people are doing for, like, old consoles and stuff, like, that in and of itself, like, the consoles aren't, you know, being sold en masse anymore, but, like, the creativity of it it in and of itself, like, it's not dead. And, like, the fact that it will still, like, continue, that and the fact that it is still here, I think that's kind of, like, the main, sort of, like, takeaway point for me, at least, anyway, because it's, like, I like the fact that we get so much stuff even today even now and people are still like interested in it people still care people are still out there trying their best and they're still you know they're still making the things that they want to make no matter the cost and they're still giving it the, they're still yeah. giving it their level best and they're still trying hard so yeah I've, I've got a lot of respect for that and I really at least like at least to me i'd wanted to say that just because we kind of got like not like not negative i'd say but like the criticism is, is warranted and it's definitely like useful in a lot of different ways but like i at least want to make sure that since we're gonna probably cap this off soon i want to make sure that we kind of ended it somewhat more like positive because honestly like We've had a good time, like looking and talking about all these different things, but like we wouldn't have a lot of, of a lot a lot of what it is that we have now. We wouldn't have this without those past Sega games and stuff, and the ones which we don't even know people have been influenced by and stuff like that. I just put in that game that I'd never heard of, a kid a, a, a 120% Burning Fest. Limited, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like fighting game and stuff like that. Like I found out about that like two weeks ago when we were doing research for this, and like I've been way more interested in that like since then. Like i've learned like all all types of stuff about it some things about it mechanically some things about the uh the character designs and stuff and, like who was interested in it and who made it and stuff but it's because of that that we get to have that small like bit of a that fire that's stoked within us that can keep us going type of a thing so yeah there's a lot of cool stuff out there if you like a lot of sega games go back have a look at your favorites find some new ones people still making new ones today yeah it's like it's cool to see that vibe um continued
2: hmm. I just wanted to, to finish, at least for me, on something. Did, did you know that hmm. Sega almost has a monopoly in a certain type of game right now? No. We, now? What? what type? The, uh, the the real-time strategy game type. Oh. You don't know that? Because basically, they, they, they've they been buying for a few years uh, many very uh, awesome studios. For example, they... I think they bought the the Relic Entertainment Studio, the guys that made uh, Company of Heroes and, um, and the Warmer, uh, 40k uh, strategy games, the Dawn of War games. Maybe you you remember them? Okay. but they, but they, they also bought uh, the the French studio, which is uh, which is making ah um... ah I should have prepared better uh... <laughs> <laughs> endless space yeah <laughs> and endless space too and uh oh my god the the james you have to check the endless space to soundtrack soon you're going to love it and uh endless space the the studio is the studio is amplitude amplitude, amplitude yeah. yeah and and i think sega bought them a few years ago and okay. so that that means they have also uh other type of games uh and i think they have 3 to 4 studios that all do this kind of games and i was like wow that's actually very surprising to see sega you know invest so much into a very pc oriented uh, game type because uh, i think they, they are also publishers of games like Cossacks or things like that so that that's uh... That that's very surprising when you think about it. Yeah. The the all,
0: all the total war games, right? Uh,
2: yeah, total those war. Are Sega yeah. Games now, right? That's it. And uh, since an uh, amplitude did, uh, is actually working on a game, uh, a civilization type of game, which is named mm. Humankind.
3: I was going to mention that yeah, Humankind. Mm-hmm. They've got like endless dungeon
2: here. Like, endless dungeon, yeah. And yeah. they'll see. Uh, they also did um, Dungeon of the Endless, which is amazing, an amazing game too. So uh, there, there are Sega games. <laughs> there are Sega games now. <laughs> That's surprising. <laughs> I just want to give
0: a quick shout out to one of my favorites. Um, This makes sense, right? PC game, you know, RTS games, you associate it with PCs, but the first modern real-time strategy game was uh, Herzog Zwei on on the Genesis, on the Mega Drive. So it still comes back, circles back to Sega. (laughs) um, Always. No, no, that game, literally, the the creators of Dune 2, which which is more popularly considered the Hmm. first RTS, they literally said, Oh, we were playing Herzog's Y. Like, that inspired us to create Dune 2. Mm-hmm. Like, super mm-hmm. direct inspiration. Yep. Yeah. And that game's and awesome. And it uh, just came out on, on uh, Switch. And it, it has a much needed, um, uh, you know, they, they put extra stuff into it that teaches you how to play it and stuff. Yeah.
2: Hmm. hmm. Dumb. Anyway, here you go. <laughs> that's the last yeah. thing I wanted to add on Sega because that's something we don't think about much. But they're they're there and they 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 publish a lot of of gaming like that. Yeah, yeah. I Total just World want to post one, one more
3: thing mm-hmm. from from the from the peak nineties. Like I just want to just post one of the most peak nineties images like that you could possibly ever see. Got a uh, Michael Jackson here, <laughs> with, uh, young Miz- a <laughs> uh, general manager Hisashi Suzuki there. So mm-hmm. there you go
2: the famous story of the the sonic 3 ost original soundtrack made by uh, made by michael jackson (coughs) but uh not uh but not uh officially released by michael jackson Mm -mm. there's a whole thing with that
0: that's how special sega was that (laughs) michael jackson (laughs) the king of pop (laughs) was a Sega fanboy, to the point where he was like, you don't even need to pay me. Like, I'm just, I just hmm. let me do music for Sonic. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, wasn't the story like he, he did, like he, since he didn't, you know, wrote music, like with a pen, he was doing all, Michael Jackson was doing all his music, like uh, by humming them. And apparently the the story, if I remember correctly, it was something like he did some tunes on a cassette, on tape, like he did the 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 like the the guitar by mouth, the bass by mouth, something like that. Wow. And after that, the the tape was sent to Sega, and they, they had to use it to make the the music. But apparently, they didn't reach contract or something like that, so it, it didn't happen. But some place, some musics are apparently from Michael Jackson, and there there are so many stories mixed together between uh, Sonic 3 and Michael Jackson that's uh that's very complicated a very complicated topic uh,
3: th- th- no, absolutely. there's over- overlap
0: like, okay. oh sorry just real co- there's overlap between songs that he released and the Sonic 3 soundtrack a famous one being a stranger in Moscow uh, sounds very very mm-hmm. similar to a, a Sonic
3: 3 track mm. no no it's a it's it's a real it's a real thing yeah yeah so like those, these were rumors for like a, a long time yeah but, but like, it's true yeah basically yeah the people have just long thought about it like obviously you know sega dropped jackson in the the 1993 like allegations and all that stuff but like obviously i'd i had heard like about that but i mean yeah like you just said strange in moscow like that mentioning as well like the similarities there and all the rest of it like it's kind of really strange because like you don't really hear of this often like happening like today like in terms (laughs) of like this kind of like did they do it didn't they do it type of a thing it's very like 90s contained in a sense like just the fact that there's this level of like rumor and all the rest of it but yeah i think that that type of a testament like Richmond was saying there was very very apparent the fact that again like michael jackson actually was you know like so interested within this like that you know that this could even happen and become a realistic situation is quite quite the testament to sega's you know imprint on not just the digital landscape at the time but also the the general social flavor or the social feel of the time in and of itself as well <sighs> Right. so sega games yeah
2: okay do do we end it here or do i say hey chris you have another game
4: <laughs> i think I'm, i think i've tapped out
0: james
1: yeah James. We haven't uh, heard about i there. mean i mean obviously honestly like a lot of uh discussion here uh, i completely agree with uh i mean i think that there are way too many games for us to try to like cover all of them i feel like we've kind of run the gamut here of like arcade based you know sega games uh even games that were uh console releases but still have that heartbeat of the arcade in them uh i mean we even went into uh you know the creativity aspect uh you know how that actually came to be uh you know based on the era that these games came out and you know how things are now and how people can potentially navigate them. So, I mean, I mean, I could, I could go on about games, but I think we, I think we covered like everything here that we could, I mean, cause if we, if we keep going, I mean, it's just like, you know, this podcast is going to be like 12 hours, like, <laughs> oh yeah, you but, know, like, like that's, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, but if, if there's anything I wanted to close out on is that, uh, you know, even in the midst of uh, things shifting in the industry, uh, you know, however you choose to see it, right? Like, because there's obviously pluses and minuses to it. Uh, one of the things that's great is that I feel like indie games are becoming more of a, uh, a shining light or a burning light as, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we talk about some of the things we're talking about here. Um, I think that uh, there is a lot of room for uh, indie developers to, uh, put their stamp on the industry and inspire a lot of people to play new games and not just play them, but make new games too. So, um, you know, like, I just feel like, you know, that's, that's where we're at at this point. And, uh, we have Sega to thank for a lot of their, uh, kitchen testing and, uh, even some of the things that they actually got right, you know? So, you know, here's two more creativity in the industry and, uh, like cooler games. I guess you could say that Sega was a shining force. <laughs>
3: that, was... that was dad of the year. Dad of the yeah. year confirmed. Had to do that. Had to had to do it to him. Had to uh, do it yeah. to him. So I guess. Yeah, dad of the year confirmed. Uh, that was, was yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, I, I muted.
2: I muted my my microphone. But uh, oh my god, take my phone. Like take, it. take we it, it. We love it. We love it. Everyone's yeah. just
3: going to unfollow me after that one, for, for yeah.
2: real. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to awesome. double follow you for <laughs> this. I'm going to retweet a lot of more things that you that you show me. And, uh, wh- wh- when you think about it, and uh, I'm going to close on this f- for myself. Like, I think there wouldn't have uh, Alexa from Amazon if we d- didn't have Seaman before, and that's all for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: pretty much. I just realized we never we never explained what so sorry. what Seaman is during this call, so we're going to have a lot of very, <laughs> very confused uh, listeners if,
3: if you're not familiar. Okay, so someone explain it in 15 seconds. Go okay, I, 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 can, I can do it. I, I, I
2: can do it. Okay. Okay, basically, you play a guy that has a fish tank, and inside this fish tank, there's a fish, except that the fish has a human face, and he talks to you and evolves. And basically, it's Philosophy Magazine, except that it's a human shaped head fish in a tank and you have a microphone on your dreamcast controller and you speak to him
0: <laughs> yeah. cool cool, left... cool
3: cool yeah okay we'll leave yeah. it at that just google like seaman sega just google right. that and you're all good
2: and which is basically alexa except that seaman didn't gets... take orders
3: yeah, it, it's true. You, you talked
0: to... Oh, oh my God. We can go out <laughs> on for another two hours to Let's... Yeah. Uh,
3: all right. All right. Okay, let's, right, let's cool. wrap up. I just up. want to finish... Yeah. yeah. I want see. to finish one last closing <laughs> sentence and real quickly. Yeah. Just in general, um, especially when it does like come to Sega, like, i never had a dreamcast i never had a genesis i never had uh any of those systems like they weren't um it's not that they weren't like available to me like i saw them like i knew what they were i just didn't have them but in terms of the imprint though like even just in terms of not actually being able to own those but even still like feeling the imprint when i had to go to friends houses when i eventually you know got internet access myself and then would be surfing around the web and looking at all sorts of stuff like yeah like It was definitely tangible and like that period of time the what what i got to experience of it i first got into the internet back in like 04 05 era like just even that early sort of like taste for myself like it was very much evident very much apparent and like the more i look back into things now like as an adult the kind of like the more grateful i am of all Mm. to toward all the people that worked so hard to make any of that possible because again like especially I'll just just talking in terms of pixel art once more like it's extremely hard to make uh, a coherent image just generally in pixel art. So it's not the easiest thing to do you've got to encapsulate and just sort of in essence sort of like let the elements of so many different fundamentals of art sort of like, flow through you and then combine them through this medium which can be kind of cumbersome in some ways but also really kind of restrictive in others but also super freeing once you understand what it is you need to do but just seeing so much beautiful work done back in the past and seeing how that's translated over time and how it's been inspired inspirational and it's still inspirational to me now yeah it's it's wonderful stuff and if any of this ever does go out to anybody who's ever worked on any of these types of games because i know that richmond has brushed shoulders with some people who've made monuments but monumentous occasions in games and stuff like that before like yeah like just a big thanks for me honestly because i mean what it is that a lot of these people have done is really really hard in so many ways that take longer than our hours to to explain they've put hours and years of their time blood, sweat and tears, all of it and although some of it might look a bit strange to us now although some of it might look a bit weird like oh why would anyone even play that nah, like a lot of people did play it and a lot of people did have fun with it a lot of people have fun with it now so yeah, Mm -hmm. the, the digital fingerprints have been left and they're still there in history and I think a lot of people will learn a lot just by studying them and that education is always enriching especially for me, so thanks
0: All right, beautifully put Okay. Okay, I will do the outro now. Um outro. Outro. Outro,
3: <laughs> outro, okay. outro, outro.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, thanks for listening. That, that once again always uh, super fun to talk to you guys. So that, thanks for uh you know making this podcast week after week. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure mm-hmm. to have you all on um so uh yeah uh, to our listeners if you enjoyed this podcast you can uh follow along uh follow us for updates on twitter uh may that's where we'll you'll get the most up to the minute up-to-date news uh follow us at art eater podcast a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r uh podcast um yeah, and you can also go to our website arteter.com. It's a r t dash e a t e r dot com. Uh, you can find every single past podcast that we've ever done uh, on there, as well as lots of uh, long-form articles. Uh, lot you know. That, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm your host, Richmond. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Richmond Lee. That's R i c h m o n d underscore L e e. I'm on there way too much. <laughs> Just send me a line. I'll probably respond. And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been super fun. So everyone else, please please let our listeners know uh, what you've been up to and how people can follow you.
1: All right, I guess I'll jump in. Uh, this is James Stanley. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Beefy Kunoichi. That is B-E-E-F-Y underscore K-U-N-O-I-C-H-I. Um, I am a comic book artist, writer, storyboard artist, Uh, and a recent art director on a game that I cannot talk about just yet, but uh, I will definitely be talking about it when I can. Uh, Really excited about that, and as usual, I'm always excited to be a part of this podcast.
2: Okay, so I'm next. Uh, I'm Thomas. I'm a web developer from France, and uh, recently I'm starting to do some web design. Yeah, yeah. the first one is going to be James' website, so I'm planning uh, to uh, basically rip off the CVS2 UI and put it on his website because that that's the kind of vibe I think he, he wants to share to the world, something like that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Thomas Horus, T-H-O-M-A-S-O-R-U-S. And uh, there I retweet Adam art and talk about web development
3: yeah that's my, that's my number that's my number one twitter twitter friend right there that's, that's my boy <laughs> i'm your number one fan <laughs> absolutely absolutely uh, anyway yeah uh, what's up everybody it's, uh, it's adam once again pleased to be here uh, i'm a game and level designer pixel artist and also international taekwondo fighter um i go by adrian twitter you can find me over there at AJMIS, so that's at ajmattis uh, I love to share and retweet all sorts of cool art and creative projects that I see, as Thomas was just alluding to there. But also, if anyone wants or needs any pixel art-related work done or help with regard- with regards to it, I'm, I'm active at the moment, so uh, please get in touch. That's absolutely fine. A few people have actually done so, so that's also been fun. Uh, yeah, if you'd like anything else that I say, or if you liked anything that I was just, you know, memeing about with the friends here, you can drop me a follow over there on Twitter so you can get to hear some more. Uh, yeah, take care, everyone. Uh, stay safe. I'll catch you all next time. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about Sega, as you can probably tell. Yeah, stay tuned for the next one. We'll see you there. All right, Chris. Oh, I
4: guess. I'm Chris Eakins. I'm the developer at Newt Industries, a two person indie game studio. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at risk system underscore game. If you'd like to play a game I made, there's Risk System out on Xbox and pc and switch but if you want to play a game that makes you think about jet set radio and raccoons and tetris you can also play my game garbage which is a mobile game on ios and uh, android and i think it's free so i haven't updated it for a few years but that's fun (laughs) yeah
3: yeah hey listeners go play chris's stuff yeah (laughs) Get Get Risk yeah. System,
0: however you can. Get, get it. it on Steam right now. Right now, yeah, it's on Xbox. On, on it. It's re- the Switch port is really good. It, it mm-hmm. works very, very well with the, the Switch uh, uh, control pad. I,
2: I've i I want to make a deal with the uh, with the listeners. If you want Adam and I to stop the bad burns in the podcast, you just have to tweet us that you bought Risk System. And if you do, if you are enough at doing it, at proving it, we'll stop doing bad puns.
3: It's a done deal, honestly. Because I mean, listen, I got more to go. I got wait, I got I got many more puns, and listen, ah. you guys don't want to hear them. So listen, you guys better
2: buy risk system. Buy Oh, oh, so you will have mm. more puns in your brain. Yeah? I'm,
3: about to, these wise like, words. I'm about to open all of the gates. I'm about to uh, just all my mm-hmm. chakras aligned. I just all my puns are just going to be flying out, and it won't be pretty. So you guys have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Go virus system. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh. man. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Thanks this was everyone. fun.
3: Yeah. This was so much fun. Thanks, everybody. Right. Uh, we'll so catch you all soon. Stay Bye. safe. Take care. Bye.